Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Monday, November 21st. We are here live. It is a free-for-all. Anything goes. Ask me anything you want. Phone lines are open right now, so you should start dialing. 855-950-3835 is the number to join us. Anything goes. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, pick up the phone and call me. Um, I don't really have an open today. I'm, I'm not going to do a lot of opens on this live show um, during the week. So, you know, when we have... Uh, the power hour, the open is just what everybody brings to the table that week. Same thing on Fridays with John and Joel. Um, Wednesdays, all about health. Many times we're going to have a guest to start that show. So Monday and Thursday are the free-for-all days. I want to leave as much time as I can for questions. So I've started a new segment. You should see it on your app right now. There is a new show called Kevin's Commentary. And it's really just a way for me to kind of wrap up the things I've been reading about, what caught my attention in the news, a lot of industry stuff, but also stuff that's just all over the board. Uh, I record those. I, I, I'm not going to commit to every day. I'm going to try. Uh, I will should be able to put them out at least a couple times a week. Uh, I have changed my schedule in the way I put my news and stuff together in the morning. So there should be two episodes on there now. I recorded one last week and I did one this morning. I've already written um, the commentaries for tomorrow and Wednesday. And then when I get up in the morning, if I see anything interesting, I'll add to them. This is a short week so uh, no show Thursday and Friday this week, no live show. So today should be busy with calls. Jump in and uh, let's get started. Calls are already starting to come in. I love that. So keep them coming. We're going to head off to Pennsylvania to get started. Frank, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thank you. That question, I was uh, diagnosed with type 2 diabetes about two or three years ago. And, um, so I got a CGM, I went, got a physical at my regular doctor, just I hadn't had one for a couple of years and I got a CG continuous glucose monitor and I've had it for a month, about a month now. I got like three days ago on the first month and, um, man, my numbers are all over and I've been eating keto, ketovore for probably a good six weeks now. I mean, I'll wake up, and it'll be like 152. How, how, and hold on a couple I'm things. A couple things. And I, we can get yep. right to it here. How old are you? 57. And what was the highest A1C you've recorded? Uh, I think it was like a 9.7. Okay. That's high. That's, that's really. When they, that's when they diagnosed me. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was so, like, it have, was at least three years ago. Yeah. Have you ever heard me explain why the way we diagnose diabetes is so bad? Yes. Okay. I'm going to do it again because I think the more we hear these okay. things, the more we'll understand them. So the only two numbers the medical community looks at for 
to diagnose diabetes or prediabetes is a fasting glucose. So they tell you you're coming in for your physical, don't eat overnight and don't have anything in the morning. We'll take your fasting glucose. And then they do an A1C. An A1C is a calculated number. Kind of like we always talk about horsepower not being real. It's a calculated number based on other factors. A1C is not a real measurement. It's not a real measurement of blood sugar. It's a measurement of certain proteins, glycated proteins in your blood. And then we kind of extrapolate a 90-day average of blood sugar from that. The problem with both of those markers is they can be all over the board and... Before we become pre-diabetic, our body is really good at managing blood sugar. But that's part of the problem. So we take in too many carbohydrates. Everybody does on the standard American diet. Everybody does. I don't care if you're vegan, vegetarian, whatever. If you're eating the standard American diet, you take in too many carbohydrates. That raises our blood sugar. Our body has to release insulin to lower it, but it's really good at it. So we don't really get big spikes because as soon as the blood sugar shows up, our body releases insulin and it counteracts it. There's no spike there to see. Now, with a continuous glucose monitor, you get a better picture than a finger stick because a finger stick, we can miss a little bit of a spike. So when we can see those patterns, it becomes more obvious. Um, The average person who has never been diagnosed diabetic or pre-diabetic isn't wearing CGMs. Uh, now you're getting people that, that do it. If they you know, follow somebody else who's talking about it, the natural practitioners all recommend it. So you go to the doctor every couple of years, you get a physical, they check your uh, fasting glucose, they check your A1C, everything looks great. And then all of a sudden you show up at 9.7, when was the last time you had had an A1C? If that's when they diagnosed it, when was the last time prior to that that you had had an A1C taken? Probably a year before that, for regular physical. And did anybody say anything? <clears throat> it couldn't have been normal. Well, they no. Well, they said that I was pre-diabetic, okay. but they didn't act like you know anything was. You know what I mean. Yeah, that's the problem. Like, that, that's the problem. First uh, of all, the, the way we test for it is horrible. Now, the, the, there was a doctor, Dr. Kraft, that did a lot of work on this. And he, and he has all the data to back it up. It takes us 10 years to predict that, to diagnose this when we could have seen it coming 10 years earlier if we would have done the right testing. But the right testing is expensive and it's time consuming. We need to do an insulin test. And in that, for that, you go into the lab and you're in there for a couple hours and they check your insulin several times. Fasting insulin would be a better test than fasting glucose, though. So for the people who are listening, even if you're not going to do a full-blown insulin test, at least do a fasting insulin test. Although, I can avoid all the testing. Because we know if you're eating the standard American diet, at some point in your life, you will become diabetic. Almost everybody does, and every year it gets worse. So don't bother testing. Just stop eating all the crap. I mean, that's really what this comes down to. So we're really bad at diagnosing this. When we do diagnose it or start to, oh, 
Oh, by the way, you're pre-diabetic. What else? They make it like it's no big deal, right? Is that was was right. that your, yeah? It's it's no big deal. Did they give you any idea why you were pre-diabetic and what you should do about it? They just said, "Watch what you eat." Yeah, that's all they said. We all watch what you we know. eat unless we eat with our eyes closed. That's a stupid right. statement. <laughs> exactly. What does that mean? Watch exactly. what you eat. My God. That, yeah. that's, I was watching what I ate, and I want to be in the position I'm in. <laughs> uh, well, it, 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 it's an ignorant statement on its face. What does that mean, watch what I eat? We all watch it. We pick it up for a plate, we watch it, and we put it in our mouth. Give people real information. Tell them what type of food causes blood sugar spikes and insulin spikes, and then It just makes me crazy. So all of a sudden, you're at 9.7. There was a time where if you hit 10, you wouldn't be driving anymore. That's how close you were. Right. Now, today, they just give all kinds of waivers, and they just let people go, and the doctor can just say, even if you're at, I had somebody at 15. Um, this This is deadly. Not only is the sugar killing you, so is the insulin. And nobody ever talks about that either. The high blood sugar does things like cause blindness, um, neuropathy, causes people to lose limbs. You will have kidney disease and heart disease and liver disease. That's all from the high sugar. We'll go blind. Um, But the high insulin is very, very damaging to our body as well. Insulin is the master hormone. And when insulin's present and there are calories around, insulin tells your body to store those calories. Don't use them for energy. Store them as fat. So we get fat and tired because no matter how many calories we consume, our body just keeps storing it because that's what insulin says to do. So this whole, the whole way we treat diabetes is so screwed up. And I, I, it, it really, I hate to keep saying this, but the entire system is designed for one thing, to make a lot of money. If they would have helped you identify this early and then helped you avoid it, you wouldn't become a $10,000 a year patient for them. That's how this works. So well, we, I'm not taking anything. I'm taking, I'm taking. Uh-oh. Frank, oh, I don't want to lose this call. I haven't got to the good stuff yet. Um, again till oh, tonight. Oh, there you are. We lost you there. You said, I'm not yeah. taking anything, oh. I'm, and then you went blank. Oh, they, I mean, they, she wanted to put me on um, metformin. I said, I'm not going on metformin. And uh, so I said, give me a continuous glucose monitor. I'll monitor myself. I said, I'll come back in three months. And that's, I got like six more weeks to go. Okay. But so, my question uh, is. Go ahead. Um, go ahead with your question. Well, my question, I mean, like this continuous glucose monitors, because I've been taking my, I was taking my uh, finger stick daily, twice a day for a couple of years and it would be, you know, good. And then at the end of the day, it'd be, I mean, it'd be like 105, 100. Now it all day long it might it jumps from I wake up in the morning it's so, one fifty five might go to one sixty so, down to one forty back and 
So there's two issues. You go to like 100. There's two issues here. One, have you calibrated your sensor? No. Nobody bothered to tell you to calibrate your sensor. No. Okay, so here's how you calibrate your sensor. Three days in a row, mark it on the calendar, set an alarm, wake up in the morning fasting, and take a finger stick with a good, accurate meter. The, the best meter I've found on the market is the Precision Extra. That's cheap, 30 or 40 bucks. It's very accurate. Then your, I don't know how your CGM or the software works. The one that I deal with that NutriSense, there's a calibration setting right in the software. So I get up, I check my fasting glucose, and then I scan my CGM. And if they're 20 points apart... I make a note of that today, and then I do it three days in a row. Then I take the average difference. I take the three differences, and I average them. And let's say that, and this is very, very common. My CGM almost always runs 15 to 20, for me, runs about 15 to 20 points lower than what my real blood glucose is. So I will adjust mine up after three days of of checking it. Then I'll calibrate it. Yours may be doing the opposite. Yours may be running higher. They're, they're not as accurate as a finger stick, but that's why we calibrate them. So you can get into the correct range. Now, even if they're uncalibrated, they're still telling us a lot. They may be 20 points too high or 20 points too low, but they're still, we can see the patterns. And your pattern about being all right. over the board is not unusual. With an A1C of 9.7 just a couple of years ago and just starting keto carnivore about six weeks ago, you are still very, very insulin resistant. And that's just going to take time to work itself out. Okay. Now, you didn't want to take the metformin. I, I, I agree with that as long as you are willing to change your diet. I mean, 9.7 is dangerous. Something well, has to happen, but as long I as mean, you're willing to change your diet, but if you're not going to do the metformin, why not do some berberine? But I am doing that. Okay. But three years ago, whatever it was, when I was diagnosed, I did go on metformin for two and a half months. And I went back and got retested and it dropped down to like 6.7 or 7.0 or something like that. Okay. So well, they you, were happy with that. And then I wait, take see, that, that. that's another problem. Happy with that? That sucks. That's full-blown diabetic. Why would you be happy with that? I don't care if you started at 20. The goal is not to just get a little better. The goal is to get rid of diabetes, because if you don't, you will suffer health consequences the rest of your life. You got to get serious about this. They're not. So do that. They're not serious about this at all because they just oh, prefer yeah. that you hang out around that seven, seven to seven and a half range because you'll need them all the time. You'll be in for multiple appointments. They'll be prescribing drugs. That's how they make money. If we get you down to four point seven where you should be, then they don't make a penny off you. But it's going to take time. So re- just keep to, doing what you're doing. But to I would, calibrate that. Yeah, go ahead. Do it at the same time every day. Yeah. Every well, morning. No, as long as it's fasting. 
It, it doesn't have to be at 7 a.m. One day could be 5.30. One day could be 9 o'clock. And okay. as long as you take the so reading. Eight hours or more of fasting, right? Yeah, as long as you take the reading with the finger stick and then scan your meter so you're getting the two readings as close as possible. Well, scan your meter first. Okay. Because they usually give you the last time that it checked, and then you can kind of match your finger stick as close to that as possible. Okay. All right. And, and, and All right. here's you, the other it. thing to understand that you will start to pay attention on this um, CGM is that it's not only food that affects blood sugar. I, my stress protocol will make my blood sugar go up 25 points without a bit of food. And it should. That's actually okay. a good, healthy stress response. That's what the fight or flight is supposed to do. Our body gets flooded with glucose that it makes. We don't have to eat any. You could eat zero carb. And when you hit the, the fight or flight mode, your body should start releasing glucose. And it will make it. That's called gluconeogenesis. Your body can make glucose out of fat and it can make glucose out of protein. So you can get spikes for reasons other than food. Stress is a big one. Um, bad sleep get a bad night's sleep, your blood sugar will be all over the place. Do you drink alcohol? No. Okay, good. You should see what alcohol nope. does to your blood sugar. Nothing, <laughs> nothing messes up blood sugar worse and longer than just a drink or two. Yeah. So is this intermittent fasting for basically, it's like about 20 hours or so. Is that good? Absolutely. Or would it be better if I ate something? No, that's, no, So that's no. fine. There is okay. never, okay. there's never a time, this is going to sound funny when I say this, there's never a time that it's better to eat than not to eat, except maybe when you were starving. Okay. Our body does better when we don't right. eat. And the less we eat, the better our body does. The less often we eat, the better our body does. This advice that, oh, you should have six small meals a day to keep your blood sugar steady. No, we're keeping it steadily high is all we're doing when we do that. So intermittent fasting or one meal a day is one of the best ways for diabetics to get that insulin resistance back under control. And if you're capable, okay, longer fasts are just fine too. If you want to do a 24-hour fast one day a week or a 48-hour fast every other week or as often as you want, there, there's almost no downside to fasting. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Thank you very much. All right. Stay in touch. I want to hear how this goes. Ignore the doctors. Let's go to Wisconsin. Tim, welcome to the program. Kevin, how are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Well, <laughs> first off, I want to say that word pre-diabetic. That's like saying a woman could be pre-pregnant. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's just another one of their stupid scales. It, it's and and yeah, either either you are or you're not. Well, based on their stupid numbers, yeah, you're right. By the time they say you're pre-diabetic, you've really been diabetic for years. They just, I think they do it in two stages. There's probably an opportunity to make more money if you do it in two stages. But look at the way they do it. Oh, uh, by the way, your A1C was up a little bit. You're pre-diabetic. Have a nice day. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, like you said, fasting insulin, instead of, you know, fasting glucose, and it's so funny how they even do that. You know, if you got a fasting glucose, if you're not over 100, they they don't usually do a uh, A1C. Right. If you're elevated on fasting, then they'll always right. go ahead and do an A1C. So, so realistically, yeah, you could come in at 99. I think the cutoff is 100. If you come in at 99, they won't even check your A1C. Usually. Well, yeah, and, and here's the other, you know, their ignorance showing. Um, it's not unusual for me fasting to be around 110. That happens fairly often. Well, exactly. Um, yep. And they then they'll be like, oh. Especially oh, eating. Especially we, eating. Go ahead. Yeah, especially eating, especially eating the way you yeah. eat or we eat. Exactly. Uh, that's just that. That's just that anomaly. Right. You but, know, it's just that anomaly. But. Yeah, I wore a. Well, I do it all the time, but I just got done with another test of a continuous glucose monitor, and for a month, my blood sugar did not go over 140, not once, the entire month. And I was testing, you know, sweet potatoes and all kinds of rice, and that's how good my blood sugar control is now. And when I show up at 110 on a fasting, they'll want to do an A1C and talk to me about diabetes. And I'll be like, you should just stop now. No, this is concerning. No, you should just stop now, really. I don't want to embarrass you, so you should probably stop talking about diabetes with me. Well, you know what's interesting is uh, you look at the parameters for blood sugar levels, what they talk about for diabetes. Uh, then you go and look at the research. You read Dr. Perlmutter. You, you look at all the studies done. Um as far as like to mention that uh, it's an elevation of blood sugar. It's not, it's not, uh, you know, like diabetic elevation, it's elevation. So that's the interesting or scary thing. Cause you know, you could, like you said, uh, you can go in and kind of beat the system just on timing and, and they'll, you know, like, you know, it could be 10, 15 years before they go, Hey, we found out you're a diabetic. So the ele- it's the, the scary thing is the elevation. And I've seen people with continuous glucose monitors try to play the system. So instead of eating the way they're supposed to eat, they just actually watch their sugar level and still eat crap, but they just eat lesser amounts of crap just to kind of keep their sugar in line. It, it, well, it's I- really kind of interesting. I um I can't remember if I talked about this on a live show. I think I may have done this on a commentary piece, the first one I did last week. Um, on Twitter, I I follow all kinds of people on Twitter, people I agree with. Here's here's what my follow list looks like: people I agree with and people I really disagree with. So I want to see what they're saying, too. And there was a woman on there. And actually, when I first saw her, I thought I was going to be following her because I agreed with her. She called herself the glucose goddess. And she talks about wearing a continuous glucose monitor so she can learn, you know, how to help people. Um, Maybe you should know that before you call yourself the glucose goddess. But here was her example. Here was her example of how not to get a, a... blood sugar spike. She said, 
when you go through the fast food drive through and you get French fries, here's what happened to my blood sugar. And her blood, I'm not kidding here. This is serious. And she calls herself the glucose goddess. She said, here's, look, here's what happened to my blood sugar. It spiked way up. And it did. And what that tells me, I could eat those French fries and I'm not going to, but my blood sugar wouldn't spike like hers did. She doesn't have good blood glucose control. I can tell from her charts. But then she said, here's her tip. She said, look what I figured out. If I order a side salad with the French fries and I eat the side salad first and then the French fries, I don't get as big of a spike. <laughs> I, you That's can't make this stuff point. up. I know so many. I know quite a few people that wear those monitors that that's exactly how they use that information. It's kind of like, how can I eat crappy but beat the system? Yeah. That's exactly what a lot of people do. Yeah. It, you know, it's one thing to learn how to cheat at, you know, blackjack and go to Vegas and try to get rich, but to cheat your own health? How stupid is that? <laughs> Well, I, there's a lot of stupid around that. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stupid. Um, so if anybody's interested, um, do a search for Dr. Kraft Fasting Insulin. He did amazing work, and I think this was done back in the 70s, if I remember right. This was a long time ago. He took like 15,000 people. And he ran them through multiple insulin tests. And that's how he determined that using fasting glucose and A1C was such a poor way. And he claimed that he could predict diabetes 10 years prior to a typical doctor by using insulin. And, and all the data is well, there. You look at it and you go, right. why, why doesn't every doctor in the country know this and practice this? Because you can't make any money. That's you know, it. It's like, You're right. Uh, when you go to the doctor, you know, when you go to the doctor, other than trauma or emergency, they never give you a prescription for, hey, let's do a six-month diet plan. Let's do a 30-day diet plan before we do any. They never do that because they, they cannot make any money doing that. Well, there's that. another reason. Doctors and nurses wouldn't have a clue how to put together a diet or a meal plan. What no, they, that's, that's true. What they that's would true. put together would make you worse. It would keep you diabetic the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, uh, you know this. You know this way of eating has been you know around since what the seventies, basically. When Dr. Atkins no, came no, out with no, that. No, wait, wait, I wait. I had a friend who... Uh, hey, hold on. You'd be closer if you said 1870, not 1970. The, the keto diet was used <laughs> first for diabetics in the late 1800s. There's a, a book. It's like the first diet book ever written. It's... Um, oh, shoot. What is the name of that? Um book they used the word corpulence which you almost never hear uh, i think corpulence means fat oh yeah here it is um the letter on corpulence you can even get this on amazon um the kindle's 99 cents letter on corpulence by william banting so in the early 1900s 
They didn't say you were dieting. They said you were banting because that was the term. Nobody had ever really heard of dieting. Diet just meant what you ate. That's all the word diet means. What you eat, what anybody eats is their diet. We have bastardized the word to mean somehow losing weight, which it, that's just not the correct use of the word. It is now. But back then they called it banting. And it was a really, really low carbohydrate diet. It's been around for a long, long, long right. time, was used for diabetics. And then it was used for epilepsies, uh, primarily in children. Uh, and it worked really well for that, except yep. they came up with anti-seizure drugs and started giving kids drugs instead. Yeah. No, you no, you are right. Uh, I guess I just was referring to Atkins. And my point was, was I had a friend whose father had a heart attack back in the early 80s. And uh, the doctor said, well, hey, you got to change your diet. And they was like, well, what do I eat? And he says, well, stay away from the starchy carbs. <laughs> and uh, believe it or not, <laughs> that worked. Believe it or not, uh, that helped him. Yeah, that helped him. Now, so, here's, yeah, he may not have gotten the whole picture or, or the whole understanding, but he didn't need uh, to. You know, he lived he, until he was in his business. Yeah. So it, that doesn't work anymore, though. You can't tell people just avoid starchy carbs. One, it's too confusing. Um, where are they? Where are the carbs, period? And we really should avoid them all. The problem now, though, is 1970 was 50 years ago. Uh, our our food yeah. supply has changed so poorly that it that doesn't work anymore. People have got to do these what what are being considered extreme diets like keto, super high fat, carnivore, nothing but animal products. Turns out they're probably closer to the real human diet for most people anyway, but that's what it takes to fix people today. Just cutting back on some, you know, don't eat as much bread, don't eat as many potatoes. That, that's not going to do the average American any good anymore. It's not enough. No, well, you're right. Yeah, you're right. The quality of our food. I mean, um, the standard American diet, unfortunately, has more you know synthetic vitamins and minerals in it than someone trying to eat clean without going grass-fed or pasture. It's, it's really an amazing thing. Yeah, you know, you, you just think about the average, you know, office worker today or wherever they might work. Uh, it's not unusual to either get up and if you are going to eat breakfast at home, nobody cooks breakfast anymore. They might microwave some sort of frozen breakfast sandwich at best, or they're going to eat things that are really easy in the morning, which are just loaded with carbohydrates. So a, a bagel, a bowl of cereal with skim milk, uh, a big glass of juice, throw some more fruit on your cereal. Uh, it, it's awful. That That's breakfast. And then what do we do for lunch? We go to a restaurant. You find out how many carbs are on the menu when you try to avoid carbs. It, I'm not saying it's you can't eat out, but it's difficult. I mean, you, you might end up with a one choice off the menu itself, and then otherwise you're, you're ordering kind of special. You know, throw throw three hamburger patties and some bacon on the plate and I'll have a salad. I mean, it, it's, and then yeah. on the way home, they probably stop at the drive-thru and get the 21 piece 
heavily coated chicken with biscuits and mashed potatoes and the even the coleslaw tastes like dessert. They put so much damn sugar in it. For anybody listening, sugar belongs nowhere near coleslaw. None. Zero. It, that goes for almost every condiment I eat as well. There should be no sugar in your barbecue sauce or high fructose corn syrup. There should be none of that in your salad dressing. But it's in all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it is interesting. Uh, you know, some books I've read, you know, talk about exactly that. I mean, if you look at, you know, we might be five, six generations into you know, this really extreme poor diet. Uh, and the interesting thing will be is, you know, some are predicting that, you know, the body is adaptable. No way. There's thinking, no way. You know, maybe, well, I, 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 well, hold on. But we're talking, they're talking like a few hundred generations. Okay. Which is, yeah. Thousands, know, thousands of years. A couple of thousand Got years. Got it. Yeah, now I could right, agree with right, that. I thought right, they were trying right. to claim it was going to happen sometime soon. Yeah. No. It, right. No, 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 no. But that's that's the that's what they're and who knows, right? Who knows well, if that's true? I, I mean, if we know if we know how the body works, it I mean, maybe well, that could happen. I actually believe it. 2500 years. I actually you know? believe it. And and here's why. Is there any explanation? for why meat is healthier for us than plants? The only real explanation is that's how we evolved. Our body adapted to the food supplies that were available over time. So, yeah, I do believe that that the body does that. that There's no real logical reason why one food is better for us than some other food, especially if we're talking about all natural food. You know, stuff in nature, not stuff that came out of a factory. But there are still foods that are far better for us, and they're animal products. But we evolved that way. There are animals that eat nothing but one type of leaf their whole life. And they're healthy. So organisms can be healthy on all kinds of different foods. It, has, it will also have a lot to do with their metabolism, their brain power, their energy, their strength. You know, the, the sloth that only eats leaves, it's a sloth. It sleeps 20 hours a day. It doesn't have a whole lot of energy. It doesn't look real intelligent. So, you know, those things have an impact, but we all organisms evolved to eat something from the natural world. No organisms evolved to eat things that come out of factories. You still there? Oh, there you are. Yep, I'm here. Sorry about that. Um, hey, uh, I love. I just wanted to say, uh, you know, about the hot honey. Uh, I got an idea. You probably thought of this already. How about uh, like hot maple syrup? I have. Well, I guess I it kind of crossed my mind a little bit. Um, part of why we use honey is it's, and I don't know if this is true of maple syrup or not. Um, honey is, and that's why it's got to be raw. There's bacteria in there. It's very fermentable. Um, The reason honey doesn't ferment when it's sitting there on your shelf 
is because there's not enough moisture in it to ferment. So there's two ways you can get honey to ferment. Just add some water to it, and there's even a way you can measure. Um, Just make sure you've got the right amount of water for it to ferment. Or when we put in the peppers, you see what happens. It thins right out because it pulls all the water out of the peppers. Now you have the the natural bacteria that was in the honey and the natural bacteria that was in the, the peppers, and it ferments. I maybe that'll work with maple syrup. Well, maple syrup, I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, pull out a sap of trees and then you boil that down. So I guess it would kill any bacteria. Oh, that's know. a good point. That's the only way we can get to maple syrup is through heating it for long, long periods of time. Yeah. Yeah. It actually kind of funny you know you see different kinds of maple syrup you see it real thin and then you see it thick and uh i've been told by people that make that that difference be uh is a very short time frame and and that's why a lot of people making it at home always turns out thin because if you wait a little bit too long now it's like you know uh like mortar it gets yeah. super yeah. super thick and hard yeah um, so. I just had a thought and it escaped my, oh, no, I remember there was a, uh, there was a shark tank, uh, company that they, it was a family maple farm. They had had it forever. So they produced all kinds of different maple products, still fairly small. One of the things they did, and I tasted it, it was actually really good. They thinned their sap down until it was the consistency of like a soda. And then they carbonated it and canned it. It was really good. It was really refreshing and it just had a tiny little bit of sweetness. It was not overly sweet at all. And you could tell it was maple. But because it was so thin when they boil it down, that's when the sugars really get you know, noticeable. This was pretty refreshing. Now, I, I don't have, yeah, well, I, I don't drink a lot of soda, um, kombucha, you know, one a day is really good for me. So I tried it and I liked it. And, you know, if I wanted something carbonated like that throughout the day, um, one or two of those might not be bad. Now, if you're trying to lose weight, there were still too many carbs in it, even for that. But I thought it was pretty interesting because, it does have some minerals, and there's some other good stuff in there, at least. Yeah, I do know people that uh, are in that for, uh, you know, kind of like a hobby business, you know, hobby farm type thing. And um, they uh, pull sap out of a lot of different trees. It's not just maple trees. They, you know, they use a lot of different saps, and um, it's kind of interesting. They all different flavors in that. Yeah. So are you uh, are you making the hot honey? Well, yeah. yeah. After that show that you were on fire on, I made it, and uh, uh, it it really is amazing. In fact, I tuned in uh, and listened to some previous shows, and a great idea for taking those peppers, uh, skimming off that honey, and then uh, putting those peppers and grinding them up and making a uh, paste or whatever out of it. 
that's a great idea. So yeah, real good idea for that. So listen to this. I posted this last night, um, and I forgot I should have put the pepper paste in there as well. I posted a, a thing where I just laid out all the products I've been producing from this one simple idea. So first off, you get the hot honey. That's kind of the point of it. And you take all the peppers or whatever you're infusing out of it. And I have found the best way to do this by far. Um, go order muslin or cotton bags, food safe bags. Um, they come in small little pouch kind of things. I've got some that are eight by 10, pretty large. Cause I'm doing three gallon batches, stuff all your peppers or whatever you want to infuse in those bags. And then they have drawstring ties and then just throw them in there. And then when you're done, you just pull it out and your honey's nice and clean. And I can run the honey down through the, the filler and nothing gets clogged up. So that works really well. But I, I started looking you get the honey, you get the peppers themselves. And I've found all kinds of recipes where those peppers are really good. My favorite right now is just chop them up and mix them in with goat cheese. Eat that with some grain-free crackers oh, or just with a spoon. It's so darn good. Um, you get hot sauce if you want. Uh, a lot of times when I'm done with a batch, I'll take the peppers out, put them in a jar and cover them with white vinegar and then just let them sit. And when I get around to it, hot sauce is basically chopped peppers and white vinegar. That's the base of virtually every hot sauce. And then you can, you know, add and change and do all kinds of stuff. The first hot sauce that I made from this could be one of my favorite hot sauces ever. I can't even describe the flavor. Now, I, so... This was, uh, this was a mix of peppers. I think I had some habaneros in there, so it's got some heat. I had uh, some red jalapenos and some red wax peppers. It's got some heat. It, it, in fact, it's pretty darn hot. But when I first tasted it, and all I did was blend the peppers and the vinegar to the right consistency, and I tasted it, and it was over-the-top fruity. Like if you've ever had a Caribbean sauce where they use mangoes and, and lots of tropical fruit and you get that real fruity yeah. taste. That's what this was like. It was really fruity. In fact, too much. It was like really bright. And, and I thought, well, I need to mellow this out some. So I uh, went out to the garden and we had had a pretty good frost, a couple of them. So I pulled up carrots that I leave out there all winter. Uh, and... I still have some tomatoes of all things left over fresh from the garden. So I took the carrots and the tomatoes and I sliced them, covered them with avocado oil and roasted them in the oven until they were really starting to blacken. And then I blended that into this sauce. Oh, this may be one of the best hot sauces I've ever had. And mix it with a little bit of butter and it is a killer wing sauce too. And it's a really nice, thick, viscous sauce. So you get the hot honey, the peppers themselves, if you choose to just use the peppers, the pepper sauce, or like you just mentioned, you can make a pepper paste, which is really nice to cook with. The other thing that I usually top off all my ferments with is like sliced citrus, like lemon, lime, or orange. Those get totally infused with oh, the hot okay. honey. I just take those out and throw them, throw them in a container and put them in the refrigerator. They're awesome to drop into like your ice water or tea. 
So it, uh, there's one idea, oh. a couple ingredients, and all of a sudden I've got like five or six products, and they're all really unique. Yeah, yeah. I uh, actually my, uh, <laughs> my my stuff is still fermenting. I uh, I just scoop it out of the top of the ferment. Yeah, my peppers are still in there, but. I think, I think this week or this weekend I'm going to do something. I'm going to take those out and grind them and do a few different things with them. But um, what's interesting is to me, like at least on the jalapenos, when they sit for a while in that honey, uh, it really mellows out the heat in them from what I noticed. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the same. I mean, they're yeah. still, it, it, it's I, a totally different heat. It is. It It's it can still be intense, but it's not like burn a hole through your tongue intense. It's like you get the heat throughout your entire no. mouth nice and even. That's the difference right. that I feel. Right. Yeah. That, yeah, and same thing. Same so thing. I, it's I not think, that intense burning. I think yeah. this is the magic that's happening here. Why this is such a unique thing. The peppers, all that heat mellows out the sweet. Like, I'm, I'm just, I started the other day, but I started... Uh, posting it this morning, I do a shot every morning. And I have like six different hot honeys already. Uh, this morning I did a habanero. Uh, it was pure habanero in manuka, pure manuka. So that's like a, an immunity booster there. So I did a shot of that this morning. Now it's hot, there's no doubt, but it's a really enjoyable heat. I just do, I literally do a shot glass of it in the morning. Um, and the there's no way I would ever do a shot of honey. That would be so sickening sweet. And I love honey. I, I cook with honey. I make ice cream with honey. I put it in my tea, but small amounts. But to be able to do a shot of this is because the peppers really thin it out and mellow out the sweetness. And the honey kind of buffers the heat and makes it enjoyable. Have you ever tried it in your uh, Cardio Miracle? I haven't tried it in Cardio Miracle yet. Um, part, part. Well, I, I guess I, I, uh, I, I would probably you know, I the, try one of my hotter ones because Cardio Miracle is a little on the sweet side for me anyway. I put in apple cider vinegar to kind of chill down the sweetness a yeah. little bit. But maybe, maybe like that habanero, the really hot one would work in there. Yeah, I haven't tried that yet. I used the uh, uh, apple cider vinegar, too. It's uh, kind of interesting. It makes taking apple cider vinegar, like, oh, yeah. it's palatable. Yeah. You know? Well, here's the other it's, thing. Uh, not an issue. Yeah, here's the other thing um, that would work really well. Take your, you know, in the morning, take a shot glass and then a like a water glass. Do a shot of the hot honey and a shot of apple cider vinegar mixed. I bet that would go down really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. I uh, you know, do all the ferments and that, and yeah. When you were you were on fire that day, I was like, well, I'm gonna try it. Haven't haven't steered me wrong yet, so I figured, what the heck. I have I have currently got um, three three gallon fermenters uh going and i have three more fermenters on their way and another 15 gallons of honey from azure that's how many ideas i have to test 
Uh, you know, it's funny. I yep. made some uh, red cabbage. I had some red cabbage, and it just wasn't fermenting really fast, so it's stuck it on the counter. I had like three jars, and six months goes by, and I'm like, geez, I better take a look at that stuff. And uh, so, yeah, it actually for me was perfect. I mean, it was just perfect. Oh, I bet. And, uh, I'll so, bet. yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, six months. Because, you know, so, sometimes, you know, if you need the bacteria in there, you need the heat. If you don't start out with enough bacteria, it just takes a lot just, longer. Just time. Yeah. You know, some people use starters. I tried using a starter in the beginning. Like, you can use whey. You can just take whey out of yogurt or whatever and throw that in as a starter. What I find is everything gets mushy. It's like, don't rush it. Just just let it do its thing. If it takes a little longer, it takes a little longer. Uh, the starter didn't work for me. So um, everybody on my Christmas list this year is going to be getting hot honey and hot sauce because I've got lots of it. <laughs> Yeah, and the, uh, my son, who's a chef, him and his wife are chefs, are coming up for Thanksgiving, and my wife, when we did the pepper, sent him a picture, and he sent back a, oh, that looks interesting, so this week, oh, uh, wait. when they come up on Thursday. Wait, wait till he plays around yeah. with it, with them being chefs, when, when they, you know, I'm a foodie, I love to cook. This is like a brand new ingredient that's never existed before, and it's a really interesting ingredient. Well, the cool thing is, is that you can't buy it, right? You you can only make. Well, I mean, you can buy it, but you know what I'm saying. You, you know, your there, particular flavoring you can make to how you want it. Well, and and the little bit that's on the market, I found one company called Mike's Hot Honey. Um, it's not bad. It, it's fairly straightforward. No junk in it. Um, if you go on Etsy, all kinds of people are making it at home and selling it on Etsy. Most of them are using pepper flakes or pepper powders or, you know, very few are using real fresh peppers. It, it, but all of a sudden, you're seeing hot honey show up all over the place. So I think what's going to happen is yeah. there's there's a demand being created and not much product on the market. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I uh, I don't know if you remember, but uh, uh, I called back a while ago because I was making my yogurt without putting any stimulant in it, right? Right. And uh, so what I did is I I went back from scratch. You know, made you know the three different uh, you know uh, bacterias and. First batch was horrible, and then after that, so yeah, there is a difference. So I, there is a different taste to that. Uh, putting the inulin in there, and uh, the consistency is about the same, but definitely a different taste. Yeah. So, um, and here, you know, here the only thing I'm using that I can get my hands on is just A2. It's just a generic A2, half and half, and that even here is hard to get. You know, it, I gotta sometimes, and it's just. You know, until the yogurt, until the yogurt product, I would have swore there was all kinds of really high quality dairy on the market. It seemed to me like there was, but when I had to go look for it, it's really hard to find. And right now, even though I have a source, Azure, they're out of it all the time. I mean, they just can't keep it in stock. Yeah, there's a place by me. It's kind of funny. It's a family deal. Uh, 
They have, now, now this is funny to me. They sell A2 milk, uh, A2 cream, but they don't sell A2 half and half. Well, that's bizarre. Guess you just make your own then. <laughs> buy buy the milk and buy the and, uh, cream so and just, mix them 50-50, and that's half and half. Yeah. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, we've just been using that. I forget the company. It's just a generic. It's uh, ultra-pasteurized. I haven't had an issue, it turns out, but even that stuff... Hard to get, and sometimes yeah. it's interesting. Our store will get it in. I think I think I'm the only guy buying it because we'll buy it, and then all of a sudden uh, they'll put it half off because it's you know expired. <laughs> no one's buying. No, oh, well, that's perfect because if I'm we, making but, yogurt out of it, I could I care less if it's. We, you know, if, if it's four days past its exactly. date, I'll make yogurt with it. If it's a week past its date, I'll make yogurt with it. Well, I, I think I might have you beat, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we had one almost 10, 12 days. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you get it right. for next to nothing. You know, yeah. cheap. Perfect. So, I, I, you know, so maybe that's the other thing. Some people don't buy it all the time, and then the stores don't want to keep it and, you know, have to eat it, eat the cost. So. Yeah. But yeah, you know, people, anyway, it's a shame because almost everybody would at least do a little better if they switched to A2 Dairy. Oh, by far. Well, and the only reason we did, because my wife is lactose intolerant. And, uh, well, technically, she, she, you know, make- she, she probably isn't lactose intolerant. She's A1 protein intolerant. Otherwise, A2 milk wouldn't have helped her at all. A2 correct. milk still has a ton of lactose in it. Right, correct. Yeah. Right, right. But, you know, in that process, that lactose gets eaten up. But, yeah, you're probably right. Because uh, when we used regular half and half, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe that's a psychosomatic thing, too. But she says, well, it kind of makes my stomach upset. Yeah, well, uh, she, you know, if, if she just tried, you know, a glass of straight milk, A1 and A2, I bet she'd see the difference. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, All right. Hey, yeah, it's kind of funny. Our local... Our... I'm going to I'm gonna cut you loose. Go ahead. Great stuff. I want to get to another call here, and I do want to open, uh, let everybody know, um, lines are open. You know I stay here as long as I have calls. This is a short week. And I'm looking forward to it. I said uh, I hadn't taken a, a day off in a month and I was going to do it this weekend. I didn't. Uh, I worked on hot honey all weekend, which is kind of like work for me right now. Well, and I did a lot of writing. And so I really still haven't had a day off. So I am looking forward to Thursday and Friday off this week. And if I don't have any calls, I, I always do an hour. We're coming up on the hour. I have one more call I'm going to grab here. Um if I don't have any calls, I'll be done for the day. So it's up to you. We're going to go to Texas. Mark, welcome to the program. Kevin, uh, Mark uh, here, uh, car hauler, the guy that uh, fired the dispatcher and all that. Yeah. Uh, you remember mountain climbing and all that. So, yeah, I love uh, that. So anyway, uh, I got some numbers for you here in a minute, but I want to talk about a, a, a thing or two here. Okay, so eight years ago is when I got into the, the transportation trucking business. 
from this side. I've been in and out. I was a driver a long time ago, and I've been for Penske and whatnot. However, so eight years ago, in 2014, the day before Thanksgiving, I, I did my first load. It was a hot shot. I had a 40-foot trailer, a Ram 5500. Uh, I took a load from Molina uh, Park, Houston area, up to College Station for, believe it or not, $350, which I only got 80%. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, I, I, I honestly didn't know what the hell I was doing. Right. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I found you along the way, and it's like, I knew my shit was screwed up, and it's like, I wouldn't call you for the longest because I'm like, man, if I call Kevin, he's going to shoot my ass out and tell me I'm doing everything wrong. I already know that. So, um, so anyway, I started with that, and, and come to May of the following year, uh, June, I got into car hauling. Uh, and, and I added up yesterday. I was sitting there on a 34-hour break in Slidell. I added up how many times since then to now I've changed my business. And believe it or not, I added another one today because I forgot about another one. I changed the business nine times to wow. find something that works. Nine times. Nice. Because it, it was like it was like I went from hot shot to car hauling. I bought a trailer that was absolutely horrible from Kaufman. It was a piece of crap. It was like you know, just it was cheap. I didn't know what the hell I was getting. I went from that to a three car hauler. Uh, <laughs> then I, I bought a, uh, a tr- I bought a, uh, I bought a, uh, a freight liner, and then it was like I had a four car on that. Then I went to a five car, and I bought the stinger setup I have now. And then when I bought this, I was like, well, you know, I'll just go lease on with United Road. And it's like they got all great. Come to find out, they did, but they didn't because there was too many empty miles, and and it wasn't the rate I wanted. So. I spent wasted a month there and had to go back on my own. And, and the, the, I, I fired the dispatching people, got them back on board. And, and the, so here I am uh, hauling, you know, changing everything nine times. Uh, I mean, I've been sued along the way for a million dollars <laughs> because of a, an accident. I survived that. Yeah. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, just, I mean, put out a service twice. Uh, one for something I didn't even have a clue about to, to look at on that old trailer I had. Yeah. And, you know, I here, here I am. So anyway, so doing, uh, doing the cars now, basically it's, it's, it's what they call sub hauling for people who have contracts. It's like helping them out and building relationships is what you yep. talked about. So, uh, anyway, so the last two weeks, uh, well, the last week, it's been, I've just had the last, today when I dropped this load in Houston, two drops, it will be the ending, the, you know, the last seven days, the best seven days since I've been in business. Wow. And That's that, awesome. will be, that would be $19,206. Oh, man. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. See, that, that's what happens when you have an open mind and you continue. You know, I, I, the, the phrase I love for this is called can I, C-A-N-I, constant and never-ending improvement. So just because you've made nine changes, don't think that you're not going to make nine more in the next five years. You probably oh, will. Oh, no. Yeah, well, oh, I, I can know. tell you will. Oh, yeah. I know. I'm, I, I, I'm open-minded enough to, to, to make the changes because 
I mean, it's the same way as if I, if I can't get what I need through a shop or whatever. It's like you said, you know, people give up after a couple. I just keep going to, hey, to, yeah. to, to find somebody that I need. And, and it's like, you know, uh, I, I mean, uh, I met I met Paul along the way at the last Dallas truck show. I knew he hauled cars. And I went up, and, I, and we've become friends and friends ever since. And he's been a big help to me. Uh, because that's like, I look to him like as a mentor, like as yeah. I do you and, you know, everybody else that, that, that you drug along, I've got into the health health kick and all like that. And then over the last two weeks, I've done 31,584 hours. <laughs> it's like, and I'm like, I, I don't consider myself successful yet or whatever. I mean, it's like, well, you sound pretty successful like, to me really do this or whatever. And, and, you know, and, and that was like, and, uh, and it's averaging over a two-week period, 454 a mile, and it's just over $5 for the last week. But it's just how things fell into place. It's not, I don't think that'll all last, well, yeah, but it's hold, the fact that it's possible. It, and yeah. You know, one of the things that I've heard forever, when I had trucks, I heard it. When, you know, I got my radio show, I heard it. I, I've heard it a lot throughout my life, that he got lucky. And we say it about a lot of people. I, I won't disagree, but I just find that the harder I work, the luckier I get. Well, I'll, I'll say it again. The biggest thing I've did in the last couple of years, two and a half years, is I gave up drinking. It was like in June of 2020, in the middle of COVID, I just said enough of this crap. And, you know, and then I worried about, you said this, and it's like, I worry about the things I can control and the things I yep. can't control. There's nothing I can do about it. Right. So I pay attention to those, those things, and I've learned to have gratitude, and I've learned to thank people along the way. I, I've learned, you know, how to win friends and influence people. I told you last <laughs> time, that looks very influential. Yeah. I, I was watching a video of Tony Robbins interview Warren Buffett. He goes, has Warren. He goes, what's the biggest thing do you attribute to your success? What is the one thing that you did or bought or whatever? He said, believe it or not, before I ever got started, I, I didn't have the money, but I went out, I got the Dale Carnegie course and I took that and that everything after that, it took off. You, you know, so, I, I, I goes can't back, goes back to that. I, I can't count the number of successful people I have met over the years. And you know, in the last 10 years, I've spent more time and probably more than I want to. And I, I just did it again, that event I was just at, uh, at the fleet level now and then. And it's not unusual in trucking that a lot of these trucking companies are still owned by the family or the guy that started them with one truck. I mean, that's not an unusual story. And there's an awful lot of money in trucking. And I have just met a lot. And then, you know, all of our partner companies. I mean, think of, you know, companies that, that we work with that, that were, you know, basically startups. I mean, we were working with Dave Asprey and selling Bulletproof before he was in any store. Now he's all over the country. So I've had an opportunity to, you know, meet these people that have had incredible success. It is shocking to me how many of them will say it was a book or a course or a seminar that set them down that road. Um, I, I've been, I have been through in my lifetime probably 30 some days of Anthony Robbins seminars. That's a lot. 
Uh, his seminars are long, too. Yeah. His days are really, really long. But I, I'm always shocked by how many people I meet and find out that earlier in they, their career, they discovered Anthony Robbins or Zig Ziglar or, or, you know, one of these books we talk about and how influential those kind of things really are. I, I can honestly say there is no way I would have figured out all this stuff myself. I, I, I read a lot. I, and I do go to, I, I'm taking another course with Dave Asprey right now. I, I just, I never stop because that's, that's really the only way I know how to succeed. Well, and, you know, and I've never given up. I've looked at this and I'm like, and there was times in the early beginning. I mean, here's another thing. As soon as I got over in the car hauling, and I, I, you know, here's another lesson for people out there. Don't lease on with somebody off of Facebook because I did for people <laughs> in Houston. And within three months, it was like I looked down and they owed me like almost $15,000. And I called the dude and I'm like, you have any problems? Oh, well, you know. And, and so at that point, I'd already decided I couldn't deal with these people. So I had to go get my own authority. And I'm like, because I see the writing was on the wall. So that's, when I, that's the third change I made. Well, in the process, when I figured this out, how much he owed me and how much I was going to, I was like, well, I only got one choice to get the money out of these people. I, I, I loaded some cars in Dallas to go to Corpus. Well, I didn't go to Corpus. I went back to my yard Monday morning. I called them. They called me and said, hey, did you get those delivered? I said, no. I'm not delivering them until you come up with some of the damn money you owe me. And I held them. And it's like, they called this police, that police, yeah. the broker called me. Everybody had cows. <laughs> but in the, in, the, in, the, in the interim, I ended up getting about $4,000. Now, I had to sue them. If you talk about, okay, you can sue people. I was a small claims court, and it lasted over a year. And I took off time because I was bound and determined to stick these people with a judgment. And I ended up, and they filed bankruptcy. The bankruptcy got thrown out. And I eventually stuck them with a judgment to get any more out of them, but I had the satisfaction of getting the judgment against them. I mean, yeah. I've been sued. I have sued. I've been through this. I've been through that. I, I woke up one morning, and it was like I looked at my account, and it was like less than $100. And it's like because I had to have something done to that damn truck or whatever. And, I mean, here I am. I'm still here. Like I said, I've changed it nine times. I, I, I won't hesitate to do it again because exactly. if you don't change, if you don't change the, and adapt, you will fall behind. You know, you just got me thinking Go about something. Technically, what I'm doing with you right now is the same thing I was doing back in 1990 except I just didn't have a column in a magazine or a podcast or a radio show or any money or anything else. But I started doing accounting and taxes for owner-operators in 1990. And that really grew into me spending all day on the phone talking to owner-operators about how they could do things better. And then when I would identify a problem that we all had, because I still own trucks, I'd go find a solution. And then I'd share it with everybody. So if I, technically I'm still doing the exact same business I was in 1990, I can't imagine how many times I've changed. You have to, you have to change and adapt. And it's like, I, I, you know, every day is a different day and it's just, you know, some days everything falls into place. Some days everything goes to crap and, 
Uh, I mean, I, I sit here and see these people complaining and moaning that they can't make anything out there. I'm like, there's a ton of money to be made. You just have to change and adapt to the situation. And you can't give up. Or, or I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's like I, I, I have to ha- I have to have a positive attitude about all of this. Uh, I, I mean, my accounting was crap when I began because the lady, you know, the lady was using to do my books, didn't know shit about trucking. It, right. And it's finally, I, after you know, I called Paul one day and I said, hey, please refer me to your bookkeeper. And I hired her and it took her like a month or two to get everything. She dedicated to me to get everything, you know, straight because it was messed up. And you know, I, and she's like, you're not that bad, but you know, she goes, we got you, you know, we got your P&L, balance sheet and everything and all like that. Because I, money was just coming in and it was going out and we don't commingle accounts anymore. And yeah, exactly. you know, I mean, there's this you money know, here, coming in. It's like, here's I, how I, simple we could make this. Here's really how simple we could make this. Cause I'd like to make things really, really easy. All people need to do if they if they're unhappy with their results in life whatever it is with their money with their business with their relationships with their health you you only need to do one thing and it's the one thing people don't do you just need to decide that you're going to make it better that's all that, and people will they just won't make that step once you decide that you're going to make it better what would stop you Well, people are so terrified of change. Everybody's scared of change. It's like they know they shouldn't eat sugar. They know they shouldn't do this or that. But it's like it's like to get in the way from their 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 doctors that have lied to them all their life. It's like they won't make that change because of I guess fear or whatever. But it's like and when you look at things realistically and you look at things for how they really are, you have to make the changes in order to. Not only succeed in life, but to be healthy in life and and everything. It's like you you just I don't know. You have to you have to be very hard. I mean, I am very judgmental of myself. I am very like, what can I do better? What could I have done better? That's that's the kind of question. Weeks here, but I always think exactly what can I do better? If people would just ask themselves that question, it's the same thing as deciding to be better. You turned it into a question. Questions are powerful. Just ask yourself, what can I do to be better? You know, and and then people say, well, I just don't have the ability. I don't like to read or or whatever. Everybody's got excuses. If we would, if we were to go back 10 years and somebody would have come up to me and said, I, I can predict the future and you are going to be curing people of diabetes, I, I would have laughed so hard at them. Are you insane? I have no desire whatsoever to help people with diabetes. I barely know what diabetes is. That That's what I would have said 10 years ago. Uh, who who was I to, to actually start curing yeah, people I mean, of diabetes? But I, I've did it. I do it every day. Thousands yeah. of people, probably tens of thousands by now. I mean, we don't know where everything's going or whatever, but if you have the ability to change and adapt, you have to. They always talk about all these gurus, they talk about, you know, you, I've been in, I was in corporate crap. It is absolutely hated. And that's the reason I went into business. I got to work on standing in a high rise and whatnot. And, and, <laughs> and I mean, you know, you look at the movie office, office space and I've lived that. Yeah. I have had two bobs before. I have, 
I have had people that, you know, look at this email. Why and you tell me, oh, I sent you this email. Okay, well, I'll, no, I'll just send it to you again so you have it. And then they copy everybody in God's creation <laughs> because they have an attitude. I've been there, and it's like I didn't want to do that anymore. And so, you know, I went out there, and it's like I did not want to go back to that crap. I did not want to do that. And it's like, you know, I found this, and it's like, I enjoy doing it. I don't feel like I really, I mean, I put in a shitload of hours, but it's like, I don't feel like I really work. People right. say, you work all the right. time. And I said, well, well, no, in this economy right now, I'm going to work, work like I, it's yeah. going away and it I, won't be here tomorrow. So, you know, I'll, 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 we have sayings for all this stuff and they're all really simple. What you just said, every one of us in our life has heard the phrase, make hay when the sun shines. I, it's so simple. Yeah. And yet, we we saw the opposite as the economy was really starting to tank and things were going wrong. We heard about the great resignation. People were quitting yeah. and working less and trying to see yeah. how little they could get by with that work. Well, you know, all I can really think of, and I'm going to cut you loose because the calls are starting to pile up on me now. Um, great stuff, by the way. Uh, all I can think of is is our our school system is in shambles. It's so bad. Social media has become so dominant. I, I don't know how we turn this around. It, and I'm not saying that all is lost. We have some young people who are brilliant. Just not very many of them anymore. And we have a, a lot of uh, learned helplessness going on. Let's uh, let's get to some more calls. Let's go to Texas. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I have a question on uh, rear gears. And I've just just what I've heard in the past several days, there's been a lot of conversation on it. I just want to make sure I'm getting it right. Okay. Um, got a 2020 Coronado uh, with a 2WS cat glider. Okay. 342. Ooh. 18-speed double over. All right. Yeah. It, I mean, it's not awful i mean it, it's it's i've got the truck i wanted i plan on keeping it to retirement state for so okay i just want to get the best mileage i can out of it to get me into direct is that going to be a 264 uh how fast do you like to drive uh 60 62 you could either go with the 264 or a 273 even so it, it, whatever you find, if you're running that slow and you've got two overdrives anyway, um, we could probably, I, I could probably make the argument that at 60 to 63 or so, the 273s might be a little better. But either one would be fine. Okay. Yeah, if you fun. found a, a good deal on 264s, I would take them. Okay. I mean, and I can do it pretty much for the cost of parts i i can do it um roughly what the two to three tenths i think yeah yeah you know sometimes we'll we'll see as much as a half mile per gallon okay just drop it yep and and there are a couple things that that happen one um, we just pick up efficiency through the driveline because we don't have as much oil churn and gear lash and all the other stuff going on when we're in overdrive. And two, we're, we're not 
using a torque reducer, which an overdrive gear is, so more power gets to the ground more efficiently. And three, we're probably going to put you in a better RPM range. So you may be one of those cases where we actually pick up like four to five tons. Okay. Okay. Yeah, anything will help. I mean, I, I plan on, I need a couple million miles to retire. So I figure the sooner I do it, the there you go. better off I am. Yeah. I mean, I think I've done pretty much everything else. That then, then it's time. I can do yep. Then it's time. Yeah. You know, I, I get those calls and people have done nothing and they want to go change gears. Uh, that that just makes yeah, yeah. no yeah. sense to me. That's, you know, even you doing it for parts alone, you know how many other fuel mileage things that amount of money pays for. Oh, yeah. 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 I've, I've put quite a bit in it. And it it's come up over, Good. over the past couple of years. Good. Just the, the more the merrier. Yep. There you go. Um, quick question on your hot honey sauce. Yeah. What, what would it do if you put the peppers in a blender and then put them in the honey so that it's all kind of mixed together? I, you know, I've thought about this a little bit. I think what you're going to end up... No, I don't think. I already know. Um, you're going to end up with a hot sauce, like, depending on how many peppers you use. So you're, you're probably going to end up with not a, not a translucent honey kind of product. You're going to end up with more of a hot sauce kind of product. And for me, it would be too sweet. At that point, it would still be too sweet to use like in the amounts of hot sauce that I use. The hot honey I use in really small amounts because it's, it's pretty intense. It's got some sweetness. It's got a lot of heat. But then what I prefer, and I talked about this before, is then take the peppers out and then go make a hot sauce out of that. So I end up with two products. I think if you were to blend the peppers, then mix it with the honey, you're going to get something in between that isn't as good as the two original products are. But, but here's the thing. I, I always encourage people to experiment. You may find that if you do that, you just come up with a product you love. I mean, this, this stuff is all over the board, and we've got, you know, unlimited options. So play around with it. You, you may find that you really like that sauce. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to try it when I get in this weekend. Give it a shot. There you go. Okay. Well, that's all my questions. I'll let you, let you move on with your day. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Illinois this time. Mike, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Kevin. Good morning. What's on your um, mind today? I just had a question. I got a new I got a new batch of Cardio Miracle, and I was just wondering if you noticed. I don't know. But this batch, when you mix it up, the same amount, the same water, it's way lighter in color instead of being a deeper red. And I was just wondering if they changed something or not or if you knew. I don't know. Now that you mentioned it, I kind of did notice this, but the, I noticed it for a different reason, and it didn't really dawn on me that it that it was lighter. So um, Lisa and I both drink Cardio Miracle every day, usually two a day. So whoever happens to get to it first, like if she's not busy, you know, kind of mid-morning after I finish you know, my NDK coffee or whatever I might be doing that morning. I just had bone broth just now. Um, whoever gets to it first mixes both of them. Well, 
I also put a magnesium supplement in mine that I'm testing right now, and we're probably going to bring this into the store. Um, so mine actually gets two powders put in, and the magnesium powder is really, really yellow. I don't know what they've got in there that makes it quite that, but it's got that same kind of yellow tint like the Cardio Miracle has kind of that pink tint. And I thought that's what was changing the color of mine. But I, I now that I think about it, when I make them and I don't put that magnesium in laces, you're right. I, it's not as dark as it used to be. I'll check on that. Yeah, I was just curious what, you know, if they're pulling something out or change something. You know, that was... Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll find out. Usually, usually you don't make a lot of adjustments to formulas like this because it's it's usually pretty difficult and expensive. But I'll check. Sometimes it it can be a sourcing. You know, there there's enough stuff in there that if you've got to change suppliers once in a while, you, you may get something different. But if if there's an answer, I'll I'll find it. Okay, gotcha. Well, thank you. Have a good uh, Thanksgiving. You too. Thanks for the call. Let's go to, and uh, I'm going to my last call right now. I kind of warn everybody, so if you want to jump in, there's still time. I'm going to go to Kentucky. Philip. welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Uh, in the past, I heard you talk about paying your, uh, your children um, through your business and it not creating a tax liability for them and creating a deduction for yourself. Correct. Um, can you kind of tell me about that and maybe yeah. uh, refer to the law or the rule that kind of gives you that guideline? Uh, I'm not going to be able to give you like chapter and verse and IRS code, but this is easy to right. find. And, and I'm going to explain it all to you, but my better question for you is going to be, do you have a good tax preparer? I think so. I've been using them for years. Okay. Satisfied. Then, um, then with, any, any good tax preparer doing things. will be able to handle this for you. And I want you to go through them at least in the beginning to get it set okay. up, but I'll explain it to you. And then that way, when you go there, you can talk to them. And, and like I say, this is not, you, you know, you always hear all these tax loopholes and secrets, and, and that's all bullshit. There's no secrets. It's all in the code. I mean, all it takes is somebody to, to read, the, as painful as that is, to read the tax code to know how to do this stuff. It's not like, uh, you know, this is some unknown thing. It's not very well used, but it, it's easy to go find the information. So, we have very clear rules about how we have to handle employees for taxes. This is all the IRS code. We have to withhold Social Security. We have to withhold Medicare. We have to take half out of our pocket and half out of the employers and all these rules. Then they have a very specific different set of rules for an employee if they are your child or stepchild, or grandchild, or foster child, I think. I used to know those answers off the now, top. Go ahead. Can you interchange that word child with dependent as long as they're a minor? Yeah, I believe so. That's what I was just trying to figure okay. out. I think... 
I think it might. Now, this would be a good question for your tax preparer because they're going to go look all this stuff up. And I, I could go look it up, but not while I'm talking. I used to know it inside and out since I don't do taxes every day anymore. Sometimes I forget the details. But here's this is how we know you can do this. It's not some weird loophole or secret. Or The IRS says if you hire your children to work in your business, almost all those other rules go out the window. You don't have to do much okay. of anything. It's almost like you can almost treat them like an independent contractor. Except... It, and again, your your accountant is going to go in and find the limits. And what I mean by the limits of for your particular dependent, do they have another job? Do they have another source of income? If so, that changes some things. It, it's like every tax topic. It gets too complicated for me to cover everything with every question. So that's why we have to have somebody doing this for us. But basically, you don't have to do right. any withholding. That, that's the really easy part. You don't have to cover them under workers' comp and, and unemployment and all this other crap that we have to do with employees. So it makes it really easy. So now all we're doing, we basically need to, they do need to work for you. And, and it should be documented right. work. When I had my children working for me and I started them around seven, Part of their job was either before or after they worked that day, they had to fill out a log of what they did. And that became my documentation. If the IRS ever audited me, I would say, here's exactly what I can show you every day what they did. Here's what they spent three hours doing. Here's what they spent an hour and a half doing. And that was part of their job and they got paid for it. They got paid for that time. To, to fill out their log to, to explain what they did. So now I have a paper trail for the IRS. The work there, people always say, well, how young can they be? Well, this is where the IRS never clear about anything. There's no age limit anywhere in the, in the tax code. So it, basically what it is, is, is the work has to be reasonable for their age. So at seven, I had them filing paperwork. That's reasonable. Um, it probably wouldn't have been reasonable to say they did the in-frame on my truck. So you can see there what what right. we what we mean by reasonable based on their age. You know, a, a 12-year-old could certainly wash my truck and help me work on it. That that I wouldn't think that's unreasonable at all. So you, you make the work reasonable, you document the work they do. And that's kind of it. And then your your tax preparer will look up the limits. How much can we pay them without triggering some sort of a tax liability or a tax return for them? And we stay just under that limit. And and then okay. your business writes it off. So that's a 30% savings on everything you pay the, the dependent. And they don't pay any tax on it whatsoever. So it, it's just a, a 30% tax savings. It's big. Gotcha. All right. Well, hey, thanks for the info. You're welcome. Like I say, get, uh, just, and I would do it now. Don't, don't wait till January or March or April to spring it on your tax preparer. Go do it right now. They are bored. They have nothing to do this time of year. Uh, we're not close enough to the end of the year yet that they're doing much. 
So go talk to your tax preparer about this now. Uh, but it is a, a big advantage. And then, then you could really create a huge advantage for the child, for the dependent. They now have income. That means they can open a retirement account. And you can open a traditional or a Roth and we're not going to get any tax savings from this. So I would absolutely do a Roth for a child because we don't care about tax savings that year. They're not going to get any because they don't owe any tax. But it allows us to get that money for them into a Roth and it will grow completely tax free. Not tax deferred. A Roth for a child here would be tax free. So huge savings with just small amounts of money invested that early. Um, you could have your children retiring with millions. Let's go to Ohio. Brad, welcome to the program. Hey, uh, how's it going today? I'm just under four months away from the end of the lease. Congratulations. And I'm trying to figure out, like, all my maintenance, all the money that I've got put back and saved is going to go towards paying the balloon payment off and not have a truck loan. How much is and the balloon payment? My 52000 What year's the truck? 2019. Okay. So it's still well within its book value. It's probably a really good bargain right now at 52000 Yes, I think so. And uh, Well, here's what I would do. I wouldn't think so. I would go check. When do you plan on paying it off? Are you going to pay it off at, in four months at the end? Yes. Well, you need to check right then. And here's why. Truck prices are all over the board. The last couple of years, they've been through the roof. I've seen them in, in the basement. Here's the thing. If I go to, and I've helped a lot of people with this, their lease buyout is significantly more than I could just go buy the same truck for on the open market. I don't think that's going to happen in your case unless they just collapse in the next four months. Um, but that's, you know, I try to help people that are listening as well if they're ever in the same situation. Before you ever buy out the lease, go make sure you're not buying an overpriced truck. Right, because when I first leased the truck, I, I leased it brand spanking new, and I'm like, man, 52000 that might be, according to what the mileage is on it at that point, it may not even be worth buying. Uh, a lot uh, of times it's I'm not. Just it, under. Yeah. In this case, it might be just because truck prices have been so high for so long, and I don't think they're going to come down that fast. But that's that's the lesson. That's what should be done anytime there's a lease buyout and you have an option. Just go make sure you're not buying an overpriced truck. Now, let me say this. Let me say if the average truck exactly like yours on the market was 45000 I would pay fifty two for yours because you know it as long as you want it. You know, you, but so I, I will pay a premium rather than go out and take my chances. But if, if there's a, I'm going to say roughly, if there's more than a 15% differential, I, I'm probably not going to buy it. 
Well, that's good information to have because, I mean, I really enjoy this truck. It's had very little things wrong with it. Now, the coming shop that I took it to several months ago went ahead and done an in-frame in it because basically I know the shop and my warranties was like 60,000 miles away from running out and it had a coolant leak instead of just finding the coolant leak and fixing it they just went ahead and in-framed it and I don't know if that really helps me or if that hurts me they but did. That's they, what they done. They did the in frame under warranty. Yes. Holy cow! I'll take that every time. Yeah, that helps. Yeah, new head, new cylinders. Oh yeah. The only thing I hurt was I was actually down. For well, wait, 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 wait. Maybe I, I, I maybe I wasn't paying attention here. Let's go back a second. How many miles were on this truck? Uh, now it's got 472,000. How many when they did the in-frame? Uh, about 430, 440. And, and so w- w- explain to me again, why did somebody look at this engine and decided that it needed a new head and new cylinder kits? Well, I had a coolant leak, and it... It's always had a slight coolant leak. Like coolant leak where? External or into the engine? Internal. Internal. Don't, it was never in my oil. Well, wait, wait, wait. You just said something that doesn't make sense to me. I said, was it external or internal? You said internal, but it doesn't get in my oil. Then it's not internal. Then I don't. I just don't know where the coolant was going. But that was a part of my complaint when I dropped it off at the dealership. Was it's always had a coolant leak, and I how, don't know where. It's coming how did from. we know there was a coolant leak? Let's start at the beginning. Is always low in the reservoir. And okay. then this is the what? weird part, and that's what I was telling them. Sometimes the coolant would drop, and you're like, your low coolant light would come on, and you'd stop, and it'd be low on coolant. And then there'd be other times it'd come on, and you know how it is. got to find a place to pull off. You pull off 30 miles down the road, it quit beeping, telling you it's low, and it's back full again. So when this like first, would be low, when this first happened... Did anybody take an oil sample? Yes, I've taken oil samples, and there's never any coolant in the oil. What lab did you get the sample done with? Uh, the one through the TA. So you it gets mailed off? Yes. So did anybody ever look at it? So some... Some samples, the labs will say no coolant detected, but they won't point out the fact that both sodium and potassium are high. Do you have any of the the old oil samples? Uh, Not all, man. 
Okay, so I did not. So we're going a place I, where, it has, where it shows sodium and potassium. So we're going to assume because that's all I have. I don't have the right information to to really dig deeper on this without being able to see those oil samples. We're going to assume it was not an internal leak. Then, if there was no coolant detected, nothing ever got flagged. We'll assume because that's that's all I can do right now is that there was no coolant internal. Why did we have to replace a head and cylinder kits at 400,000 miles then? The only thing that I can figure is because I know the shop and it was within 60,000 miles of the warranty going out. So you didn't tell me, hey, make sure you get the extended warranty. You didn't. So, it, well, we'll make sure that you get your money's worth. But what what were they warrantying? What was the problem? Didn't didn't you ask? Why are you replacing the head? Why are you replacing cylinder kits? How much oil was it using? None. Then it didn't need cylinder kits. I know that that is a total waste of time and money. And if somebody says, well, now look, I understand why, you know, you let them do it. It's not costing you anything. I don't understand why they did it. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. That was a total waste of time and money. Well, the question is, is who's paying for it? Is the shop paying for it? Is Cummins paying for it? And I doubt Cummins paid for if it. If you're using somebody else's... Uh, if Cummins paid for it, then you should go back because there will be an absolute reason. Cummins does not volunteer to put new heads and cylinder kits on trucks when they don't need them. You have to fight when they do need them to get them to do it under warranty. So I, 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 I just, I'm, I'm a little confused as to who made this decision and why they decided to do this. And and here's why I'm making a big deal out of it. Well, who determines? Here's why I'm making it. Well, again, if it's a factory warranty, Cummins determines. The shop has to submit the problem to Cummins. Here's the issue. Here's what we think we need to do. And then they get that authorized by Cummins if it's a factory warranty. But I'm telling you, Cummins does not authorize those things easily. There has to absolutely be something really wrong. Like I've seen engines use a gallon of oil at 5,000 miles and they they still won't do it. That's not enough. They want to be down. If I remember right, Cummins requirement for oil consumption is a gallon every 2,500. That's a gallon a week before they'll do a, an in-frame under warranty. So that's why I'm confused about this whole thing. And it matters to me. I, there are trucks that I just don't want to own. Trucks that are typically rebuilt that early, that's a huge red flag for me. I want to know why it got rebuilt. And you don't have that answer. Well, it's not even on, like, on my paperwork. That I you, got from you, them. Uh, I'm beating up on you because I'm beating up on you because I want the other people listening to learn something here. Ask, ask. I, I, I can't believe you weren't more curious about this. I would have been standing on somebody's desk. What's wrong with this thing? Why does it need a head and why does it need cylinder kits? Well, 
Well, and that's the thing. The why is basically because I know the shop. I mean, that was. Well, you know, but but hold on, hold 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 on, was, hold on. You didn't ask many questions. You don't know who paid for this, and I can almost promise you it was not Cummins. So why would your shop spring for twenty or twenty five thousand dollars? Well, the shop is a Cummins shop. It's a Cummins authorized. So this isn't a this isn't a shop owned by your carrier. No, this is this is a dealer. Well, then then I can promise you there was a reason this got done under warranty, and you need to find out what it is. They didn't do it just because they liked you. I can promise you that because they wouldn't be able to. Cummins would never allow them to do that. Cummins is not going to replace engines that didn't fail. Well, I can ask them again. I absolutely like I said, would because that that of my paperwork. That that I would ask, and I would ask a lot of questions before I decided to buy this truck. Which the biggest thing I know from before. What if your What if your coolant leak done, was What if your coolant leak was based on, uh, or was caused by cavitation, and we've got a bad block, and it's going to do it again. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. Exactly. So before we get to the numbers on this buyout, you've got to answer this question. I Somebody has to know why somebody paid a lot of money to rebuild this engine. All right, because I assumed Cummins paid for it because... Well, they did. I mean, they they did. Now I see. I thought this was some sort of shop at your carrier. I don't know where I got that impression. Um, but if it's not, if this is a dealer, Cummins absolutely paid for it. Dealers don't pay for for warranty work ever, ever unless unless they screwed up a job so bad that that you kind of pressure them to fix it. But you just going in and saying, I have a coolant leak and coming out with an in-frame, this dealer did not pay for that. I can promise you that. I'm wondering how they got Cummins to pay for it. There had to be something really yeah, wrong on. with this engine, and you need to know that. Yeah, because they, they typically fought tooth and nail on well, they always do. anything on a war. They, 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 they yeah, always they do. So, Brad, here's, here's, you've got to go answer that question and then call me back. We're just spinning our wheels now. All righty. That's, that's the only in question that needs to be answered right now. Then there may be more after that, but you've got to answer that one before you even think about anything else with this truck. All righty. Which I'd hate to be that close to having it done and have to start over. Well, would you rather buy the truck and then end up with a $30,000 in-frame again, if you could even do an in-frame? You might end up with a $45,000 engine replacement instead. Hell, I can go buy a whole damn truck. 
rock, which. So don't don't stick your head in the sand and say, I'm just I, I, I hope you're listening. Don't stick your head in the sand and go, oh, I'm so close to this. I'm just going to buy it. That will be a big mistake. I'm not saying you shouldn't buy it. We don't know yet. That's what I'm trying to say. We are missing a critical piece of information. And they'll still have the I don't know. I have no I I I I don't know what they're going to have. This is why you you you've right. got to take care of these things when they happen. You need to be more curious. You need to ask more questions. That that didn't dawn on you that well, I mean, that nobody knew why they were spending all this money to rebuild an engine. Well, the reason why I didn't really question it was when the technician says, "Yeah, I can tell from here it's going to need at least a new cam and possibly a head and." They've not even pulled it into the shop yet. So, so stop right there. Let let's talk there. through. Let's talk through this. If the mechanic told me you probably need a cam and a head, okay, but let's take it apart and see. And if he could show me, look, this is what happened. Okay, now I understand why they put a cam and a head on it. You don't even know that. But why did it need cylinder well, kits? Well, the reason. Well, that is a good question because I understood the whole cam and head part because it was getting close to being out of warranty. No, 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 no. Stop, Brad. Stop. Being out of warranty has nothing to do with this. This engine is either serviceable and you just keep driving it or something is broken. It needs it. We don't replace heads and cams just because we're close to warranty. Nobody does that. That cam and head should last a million and a half miles. No problem. So if that's what your reasoning is, they replaced the cam and the head because we were close to warranty. That is completely wrong. There had to be some reason they did that. Cummins does not take an engine apart and say, nothing's really broke, but we're so close to warranty, we're going to do this guy a favor. And then there's the cylinder kits to deal with. That makes no sense whatsoever. I can understand that there may have been a problem with the head. There may have been. There's a coolant leak. It might be in the head, but it might not. And you don't know why they, your only answer for why they replaced the cam in a head was, well, it was close to warranty. That doesn't happen that way. Well, I mean, that's what I got from the get-go. That's the reason Man, I, 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 um, I, 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 you should just tell us the name of this shop. I'm going to send everybody there. If they'll replace heads and do cylinder kits just because we're almost out of warranty, hell, I'm taking all my trucks there. But I don't believe that's what happened. I believe you are missing a lot of information.
So uh, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna end I'll this because we're 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 going uh, we're going in circles. I want you to go get as much information on this as you can and call me back if you want my help making the decision whether or not you should buy this truck. Because honestly, with the information I have right now, I would not buy this truck until I could get those questions answered. I wouldn't buy it. We're gonna head off to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. We'll continue the theme of the uh, head gaskets and so, heads and everything. So, so I have two callers coming up after you that sound like they have explanations for me. Maybe there's something I'm missing here that the that, that he couldn't supply. We'll see. But you're here first, well, so go ahead. Come on. Cummins don't give stuff away. To <laughs> nobody nobody does. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cummins, yeah, but it's not uncommon for an I I don't know. If, I didn't hear the whole call. So it's not uncommon for an ISX to have a cracked head. So no, it, or it, a wore out camshaft. So, and and if yeah. that were the case but, and we were close to warranty or, or he's still in warranty, if the head was cracked, it, okay, I could see Cummins replacing that. But he can't tell me that's what the problem was. Yep. He, his answer was, well, it was so close to warranty, yep. they just went ahead and did it. And then we got the cylinder kits. I, yeah. It wasn't using any oil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we throw that in just because we had the head off. Here, right. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so a guy I know, he appears to be flush with money, left, right, center. So... I've been hearing about this glider that he's been getting uh, probably over a year, I think. Well, a few weeks ago, it finally showed up. And I thought it was going to be a Peterbilt 389, but it showed up and it's a W900 Kenworth with a pre-emission cat in it. And I'm not 100% sure, but I think it come from your neighbors out there on the coast in Oregon. Um. I think. Well, he only did one load with it, and it's got a cracked head. <laughs> yeah. No way. The cat shop. Ah, uh, you know, yeah. how many miles were on it? I don't know. He, he only had, he picked it up and he got it. He lives in Tennessee. He got over to Tennessee and picked up a few trailers. Oh, wait a minute. This is one load. This is a glider, right? Yeah, a glider. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, we are brand new, brand yeah. new truck with a, a remanufactured cat motor. Yeah, and yeah. and the cat is notorious. If they don't prep that that block right and get the deck height right and yeah, liner protrude, the liner protrude yeah. exactly. If that this is so common, we've watched this over and over and over. Yeah. So here it is, is a brand new glider, but don't worry, he's got a brand new. Emission powered 389 that he can go drive. So, like I said, he appears to be flush with the money. So, um, and then another guy I know, he bought a used truck with a Packard engine, and I don't think he did a whole lot of research. You know, ECM report or oil samples or anything. And yeah, truck looks clean. It's yeah, right. Nice, good. It's the right good color. Condition. Yep, it's the right he color. Yeah, you know, he, he, he don't care about the color. So, <laughs> so he he buys it. It's a pack R engine, and it had like four hundred and forty or sixty 
thousand miles on it. Oh, it's, yeah, it's got warranty. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, uh, when he told me it had warranty, I thought he meant Packard engine warranty. Now it's got an aftermarket warranty, and it needs a new head and compressor and all sorts of goodies. And oh, well, that warranty's not going to cover all of that, so. He's not a happy camper at the moment either. You've got to do your research, you your do. homework, if you're going to go you, buy a truck. You do, and, and you have to ask questions. Yeah. So, and then today, I, I just got me a real good deal on some tires. You know, I run that little short, fat 295.60. Yeah which is expensive and hard to come by sometimes. Well, the guy that I sold my old truck to, just over a year ago, he decided, I'm done with this employing drivers and dealing with people not showing up, and I don't want to go here, and I don't want to go there, and that's too hard, and you don't pay enough. And all. So he sold, he sold up. He sold his car, shut it down, sold all the trucks, everything. So he called me a couple of weeks ago and he says, I got all these tires here. And the takeoffs off of steer axles. Well, I got 13 tires for 1500 bucks because he says, nobody wants them because no one will, a lot of people will not put a used tire on a steer axle, but I use the same size on my drive axle. <laughs> so he called me and he says, look, he says, they're yours. He said, come and have a look at them. So I went and had a look at them last week. And then the load I got to go home, it was short one vehicle. And it's like, oh, I'll be able to call by and pick them up. So I picked up 13 tires. I got a real good deal, 1500 bucks for 13 tires. So. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a happy camper today. Yes. Excellent. So, and I... I only caught the tail end of Mark's call, but he's doing pretty good. So. Yeah, for yeah, he's still a rookie. Eight years, especially car hauling. He's just learning the ropes. Yeah, well, I, I, another guy that he he put me onto. I'm training him, and he's having his ups and downs because he went and bought the wrong kind of equipment, and uh, turned into be a bit of a nightmare. And he had to go and buy another trailer. So. He's he's still learning too, but life challenge. So yeah, well, Mark Mark may still be learning, but he's got an awful lot figured out. That's for sure. Yeah, he's, he has his moments. So there you go. Occasionally, I've had to hang. Occasionally, I've had to hang up on him. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. Sometimes I have a bean spot of me, and it's like there oh, you go. Hear that crap. Click. There, there you go. That's right. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Okay. I'll hang up they, on you, boy. <laughs> I hung up on you first. Let's uh let's go to Nevada. Ray, welcome to the program. Oh, did you say Ray? I did. Oh, I didn't hear that part. Hey, uh following up on your one of your favorite engines, the Cummins X fifteen that the guy called about. Yeah. They, uh, we, we had one, well, we have one that we did in our own shop at 650,000, but the heads are cracking and just like coming 
They've uh, all those heads are bad. They went to okay. So that's probably why the warranty covered it. So we need to know that, and you're right, that's probably what happened. And once we know that, then we can say, okay, it was a Cummins issue. Uh, are they telling us it was a bad batch of heads the way they told us it was a bad batch of cams for 15 years? They said, it, well, yes, and it's all <laughs> of them. It's not like it's a bad batch. It's everyone they oh, it my all God. of them on the X-15. Now you, you can't buy the old Oh. One that's a whole totally new head. Okay, so all X fifteens are like that. So they, for two or three years, you're good, but you get up to around five hundred thousand, they don't hold up. They crack. So that may explain why they covered this head under warranty. Why would they do the cylinder kit? Because yeah. we started with a head gasket. I don't know that because there could have been more damage, and he's not. He didn't find out. That's the problem here. It, it, I, I, there's an answer here somewhere, but we just, we have to get to it. Yeah, but with our head gasket, that's what we started out with, and that's what it turned into to being. So there's more to the story, but that's what my guess is, is it's the head's cracked, and so they're replacing it with a totally new uh, head. And again, if that turns out to be the case, and then there must be some explanation why they did the cylinder kits. And I, I want to know why. What yeah. it, is this an engine I really trust now or not? I, in order for Cummins well, uh, to spend the money on cylinder kits and the labor, I have to believe something was pretty wrong. Well, with ours, they all, the liners, they dropped. They weren't good anymore. So that was another problem they had with them. Okay. And, and if that would explain it all, the the head cracked, the yeah, liners so dropped. Our, right. That that would explain it all. That's the kind of answer I need. Yeah, we were going to do an in-frame, and we're like, and then they came out to cut it and that, and there's a crack, and they're telling us, yeah, Cummins is having a heck of a time. They've all these... So, are so had to totally I, redesign it. You know how much pushback I get when I slam this engine like I've been doing for about 20 years now? How many issues like this, catastrophic issues, can one engine have? Well, all you got to do is go to Pack Car and you have the same fun. Well, that's why I don't recommend Pack Car either. I mean, we have engines well, that I don't do this. We have mostly DD15s, but we do have a couple pack cars and a couple Cummins. And you had a caller three weeks ago, your first Monday back from your uh, seminar, and he was saying he had a lot of what was it? Uh, oh, dirt in the engine at like a hundred and fifty thousand. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep, I remember that one. That was a pack car. So he has the same year, same pack car motor we have. And we did one oil change, which is the 75. And they have a campaign out that it's, the turbo was designed wrong or installed wrong. So dirt's getting in. So they totally put a whole new motor in, everything new, starter, everything. They just pulled it out and put a new one in. I bet that's what he has huh. from that car. Wow. That's, you know... 
So, yeah. That engine, I believe, does have some promise. It's not the greatest architecture, but it it does better in Europe than than it does over here. We just don't know much about it. But that's enough for me to say, why would I buy one? I'll wait till maybe we do know enough about them. We We have at least two really solid engines on the market. The Volvo and the DD series, both really solid. We don't have major problems with them. They get good fuel economy. They don't use oil forever. Uh, they're really solid engines. I'm excited about International's new engine. Great architecture. It's almost a clone of the the Volvo in some ways. I, I just, I would never take chances on these engines that have these kind of issues over and over and over. With the ISX, we go back to the cam starting around 2005. And 10 years later, they were still blaming it on a bad batch of cams. And we were still seeing cams wear out on that engine. We've had that fuel pump issue where the fuel pump comes apart and takes the engine out with it. And we had the the crankcase breather and the oil pressure issues. Now we have cracked head issues. And it, it just seems to me it's like one major problem after another with that engine. It, it's crazy. And most of ours are CD15s. And I do have a question about the rear gearing in that on the one I drive, if you don't mind. No, go ahead. It. It's a really, as it's a real quick one. Uh, so it's got the two sixty fours. When I run, I like to run fifty five a lot, but it puts my RPMs at about twelve hundred. If I run fifty nine miles an hour, it drops into twelfth gear because eleventh is direct. But twelfth gear, if I run fifty nine, it drops it down to ten ten. Am I better to be in direct at uh, 55, or am I better to be in uh, 12 at um, 1010 on the RPMs? What year is it? Uh, it is a 2021. I, I under 1100 is. I'd be a little uncomfortable running it down that low. The the eleven hundred or the eleven fifty you talked about is just about ideal. Yeah, that that engine is not not totally set up for down speeding. It is better than the ISX and the pack car, not as good as the Volvo or the Mac. So I'd be a little careful about running it around at a thousand RPMs. Um, you know, if I if I had yeah, and that's where automatic. Yeah, sometimes you've got to force these things to to hold. You know, you could always play around with it. Um, You know, if you've got the gauges there on fuel mileage and boost, and we could watch and see what's happening in the pyrometer. And it's it's borderline enough that at some times, based on load and wind and terrain, you may want to let it go ahead and go into 12th at that lower RPM. If you're in the rolling hills and it's going to be shifting in and out all the time, I might just put it manual and leave it in 11th. Okay, and it does change by the weights that I have and hills. And, you know, yeah, that's usually when it's light. You're, you're you know, right. Park, it will you're, stay at yeah, 10. you're right there on the line. And I, I just worry a little bit about the bottom end on those engines if they can handle that low of an RPM. You know, with a lot of with a lot of strain uh-huh. on them. 
Well, I know because through the, I've had it changed on the 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 setup on the tranny and that that it will I can make it stay in direct if I have them change it and stay till like sixty one miles an hour it will stay in direct. Okay. If yeah. I have them going in program, and I've had it that way, and then it came back and it was the way it they changed something in it, but I I can go back and have them change it the way it was. Yeah, like I say, it's so close. You're right there. I I'd almost rather have the flexibility of just locking it in when I wanted to. Okay. Well, that's all I have. Uh, but yeah, that's what we know about those two engines. All right. That uh, that that sounds like that's probably going to be the answer on that Cummins. But I, I want to get it from him and his shop, and and I want to know why they did the cylinder kits. And maybe it is because it it was bad enough that the liners dropped. And we'll see. Let's go to Texas. Tom, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Uh, as if we haven't beat the Cummins to <laughs> death yet. No pun intended. <laughs> Uh, so, um, I mean, we, we've, we've pretty much figured out if it's not leaking on the ground, it's not going into the oil. We figured out it's burning the coolant because most likely the crack, the head is cracked. What, ha- what happens if you burn coolant too long over time? Oh, you get all kinds of problems. You're going to wash, you're going to wash that cylinder out. Yeah. You're going to ruin the cross hats and the well, liners. Wait a minute. You're going to create hot He's, spots on the pistons. He said zero oil consumption. Yeah, because it's all happening up top near the combustion. Well, the crosshatch, if it's gone, we should have com- we should have uh, consumption. Maybe a little bit. I guess you're not going to burn the crosshatch all the way down to the bottom of the liner. So well, I mean, there's going to get some of it up top. So and you're he, saying he, that who knows if he's created some hot spots or pitting up at the top. When the initial that, combustion happens. Yeah, see, that's that's what I need to know. Because here's the thing. It, it Cummins, right. for the most part, their entire criteria on when we replace cylinder kits has to do with oil consumption. That's almost everybody's criteria. Except in cases where we have this extreme issue. Um, and that's what I want to know. If this is, you know this issue that everybody seems to be talking about. And it sounds like it is now that I have this information. Um, is the fix good? Yeah. Who, who knows? Uh, just, just a little anecdotal thing on the Cummins engine. Uh, you know, I drove for our fleet for, for five years before I became an owner op and our fleet was, uh, we had half, uh, half Peter built with Cummins in them. And the other half was Freightliners. And uh, when I was buying my own truck, I was talking uh, to my fleet manager over there because I was asking about cost of maintenance and upkeep and fuel economy numbers, you know, the two halves of the fleet. Yeah. And uh, he said the he said the DD-15 outperformed when it came to fuel economy. But as far as cost of maintenance, those Cummins cost them almost nothing. And the DD-15s had a higher cost of maintenance over the years. And they generally kept their trucks to between six and 700,000 miles. I'd love so, to know I, I, what... It's just anecdotal, you know. No, I, a, I, anecdotal can tell us a lot sometimes, but I, I'd like to know what they were what they were fixing on the DD-15 that they weren't fixing on an, an ISX or an X-15. Uh, so so the, the biggest story I got there was emissions. One boxes, sensor, stuff like that, between oh, five then, and 700,000. Oh, well, then... Out pretty, 
they, pretty hardcore. They spec'd them wrong. That's all that is. They spec'd them wrong, yeah, I, and, I, and and then had they at least used the catalyst, they may have avoided some of those problems. Those are the two things. If, if we spec these trucks right and drive them right, we don't see those emission problems. And if we do have emission problems and we use the catalyst, that seems to help a lot. There, yeah, I that, think, that I think is the not, catalyst would have solved a lot of their problems. Yeah, that is not typical to be having all kinds of emission but, problems at 600,000 miles on a DD series. And, it, yeah, and when, the, it, the odd thing when was, it does happen, that, it's almost because they're spec'd and driven wrong. Right. Yeah, uh, the, the odd thing was, you know, they they spec'd the, and this is a big problem, they spec all their trucks identical. So the Peterbilts have well, the same specs no as the Freightliners, and they have the same. <laughs> no, it, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. But the, the funny thing was, you know, the emissions problems were on the Freightliners, not on the, on the Peterbilts. But well, the, the Peterbilts had their own problems. Don't get me started on the Peterbilts. But. Well, the, the X-15s, <laughs> they might have just gotten lucky that the X-15 was actually closer to the spec it should have been. But that doesn't mean the DD should have been the same spec. But that was pure luck. Anybody who specs two totally different trucks like that with the same setup really doesn't understand specking trucks. Right. Right. Well, uh, I, like I said, I think we've beat Cummins to death on this one. I did want to bring a come up. I want to circle back real quick before sure. you cut me out of here uh, okay. to, to your hot honey. Let's get back to a subject you actually enjoy talking about. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you finished a batch with your Manuka honey yet? Yes. How did it turn out? I did um, pure Manuka with um pure habanero peppers no well well actually i did habaneros and then a small amount of a pepper i had that was even hotter i just didn't have many of them uh, called a scorpion tongue so it's really really hot um i did a shot of it this morning and it's uh it's pretty stout um you know it's like doing a shot of good moonshine you can feel it go all the way down but i like it Gotcha. I, I've, I've bought several different brands of Manuka over the last couple of years, and, and they always seem to be like a lot thicker than. Oh, they honey. are. They are. And it's like um, and a, the, the, the consistency of Manuka honey is kind of about the consistency of Bondo. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Does it thin out as as much when you do the. So knowing that it, knowing that it was that thick, and I I want mine really thin. I like the way it really pours. Um, so I just put in more peppers. So the 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 amount of peppers can change a couple of things. It'll change the heat level, but think about it. If we're pulling water out of the peppers, all we have to do is put more peppers in. We'll pull more water out and it will eventually thin. So yeah, my Manuka came out just about the same consistency as all my others. I put about half again, as many peppers in, like I pounded them down, poured the honey in, waited for it to, to separate, put it in a bigger jar and put more peppers in. 
So in theory, if you use the same amount of peppers between manuka and regular honey, the, the hot manuka honey would end up about the same thickness that regular honey is originally? It's, uh, it's going to be in there somewhere. Yeah, it's not going to be as thin as, you know, the, the honey you can. You can't pour manuka out of the jar ever. If it's good manuka, it does not pour no, at no, all. No, no, you can't. Right. <laughs> Right, and most other honey does pour. creamy peanut butter out of there. Exactly, creamy peanut butter. There's another good example. More people know the consistency of creamy peanut butter than they do Bondo, so your analogy is much better than mine. But that's that's exactly what it is. So, yeah, it's going to be thicker unless you add enough peppers or something else to thin it out. The, the other option, no. you know, you can always just add water to honey. Honey is totally water-soluble, and if you want thinner honey for some reason, um, you could do that. You know, manuka being so expensive, certainly you're, you lose a little potency when you thin it out, but it's also a little easier to deal with. Now, manuka's got a lot stronger flavoring to it. Do you, do you find that the hotter peppers work better with it for that's, taste? That's or? why I did the hotter. I don't like the taste of manuka. I mean, it, it's not horrible, but... You know, part of this whole hot honey thing is I'm I'm really loving the flavors that we're developing. But the manuka still, I know this might sound weird, but the only word I can come up with to describe manuka honey is that it has a medicinal taste to it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Have you tried any of them with a ghost pepper yet? I have not. I, the only, I have not bought a single pepper to do any of this. I'm still trying to work through all the peppers I had in my garden. That was the whole point. That was why I started this whole thing. I didn't know what else to do with, like, I think total, I probably had 60 pounds of peppers. That's a lot of peppers. I still have 30 left. Finally, I, I got to the point where they... throwing little sample... Yeah, that, that may happen. Um, that, that may happen. So yeah, throw little sample <laughs> bottles of right. hot honey and, uh, right. you know, people, if they order, uh, you know, over a certain amount right. in the store, they get a little sample pack of honey. <laughs> we, we may do something like that. So I, I finally, I got to the point where um, the peppers were about to turn on me. I mean, they were, and I really like, if I'm going to use peppers for sauce, I like to take them to where they are so ripe, they start to get soft. That's when they have the most flavor, the most heat, uh, the most depth. So these were, I, I was starting to lose a couple of them uh, to some mold spots. And I thought, I've got to do something with these. So yesterday, um, I spent a good part of the day uh, chopping 30 pounds of peppers and freezing them. Gotcha. And you just, uh, you just like cut them into like little quarter size uh, circles or something like that, or do you mince them? Or how, yeah, how, how what I that? what I ended up doing with that many, um, I have a really good Breville food processor, and it's got a nice big chute on it, and I just ran them all through the food processor and did like eighth inch slices. I went pretty thin because I was doing it on the food processor and it was easy, and the more the thinner we cut this, the more you're going to be able to pull out. So the, the, the more cuts you make, whether it's diced or sliced thin, um, the more heat you'll be able to pull out of the pepper, the more liquid, so you won't have to use as many peppers. 
And then when you eat the peppers themselves after you've done this, is a lot of the heat gone out of the pepper part of no, it? No, that's the surprising thing. I I took um, I took a mix of some of my peppers, and I was talking about that that sauce I made earlier that makes the really good wing sauce. So a couple of days ago was the first time I had it, and I mixed it with butter and garlic, like I would, you know, Frank's Red Hot to make a wing sauce. And it was incredible. Just just a really good, unique-tasting sauce. Like every time you put a wing down, finished one, you just wanted to grab another one. They, they were so good. Now, last night, I had some chicken that I had, I think they were thighs maybe. They were left over from something. And I thought, for a snack, I thought, I'm going to grab one of those chicken thighs and eat it with this hot sauce. And I didn't cut it with the butter. It is hot. Really, really hot. Like I, I was shocked. I was uh, I was in tears last night, and and that's after it's been in the honey. So no, they don't lose their heat. Interesting. Good to know. I don't want to bite into you know, throw some of these on something, a salad or whatever, and think that they might be milder than they really are. <laughs> you know, I, if you taste the pepper itself. Uh, there seems to be enough honey on it that it kind of does seem like it's really mellowed out. But when I made it into a sauce, this sauce is really hot. Gotcha. All right. Well, uh, thanks for all the info. I'm going to, I'm going to let you get on to the next guy or get out of there. Whatever comes first. All right. Sounds good. Well, it looks like I'm going to, we're just going to continue beating the, the ISX up here. Maybe we'll have an answer. Eddie, it's your turn. Uh-oh, got very quiet. Eddie, you there? Yeah, oh. sorry about that. Oh, he's, there we uh, go. Yeah, I guess he's on, yeah, I guess he's on the other, uh, he probably put it on mute or something like that. But uh, he's got a, a Cummings ISX, right? Uh, on an international uh two go ahead yeah i think it was an x15 oh now he's just gone i have no idea what happened with that call let's go to ohio brad welcome to the program hi i finally got your answer okay um it was saying that the injector cuffs was leaking and the cam was eroded and I believe it's either the outer bore or counter bore eroded. It's C O U T E R, which I don't know if they missed a letter or what on that. But that was the cause for the engine to be redone got it okay so you did not have a cracked head you had injector cup issue now was it cracked to the well you might not know if all you have is paperwork there um it, it sounds like this is a fairly uh, common issue we've had several calls that this this is a warrant another one of these problems with the cummins that the heads are cracking right around the time yours did, usually before 600,000. And then it is messing with the liners. So they're rebuilding the whole engine. <sighs> you know, it, to me, it's, 
to me, I would have never owned the ISX in the first place. I just have never liked this engine. Um, I still don't like it. They keep saying it's improved, but then every year we have some new major problem. I, I don't know whether I would trust this repair or not. I, I'd, I'd go do some digging and I would talk to the shop and say, how many of these have you repaired? Do you have any that have made it to a million miles? I, I'd be asking a lot of questions about this. You should probably call um, tomorrow and let's get an opinion from Pittsburgh Power if they've dealt with this enough to know. All right, because, I mean, the engine, like, and that's, like, the, it was running good what, that, before they worked on it. Well, that's about, if you were going to uh, tell me that this engine's okay because it's running good, I was just going to say it was probably running good before you had the problem. So the fact that it's running good right, doesn't tell what, us anything. Right, and it's like... My mileage was, I mean, I've never gotten great mileage out of it, but. What, well, tell, been, tell me what the fuel economy is, average. The average fuel economy, one second here, I can give it to you. How's it here? 7.57 is my average on the uh, 90. Oh, that's not bad. That that's that's doable. I mean, we could certainly and, do better, but that that that's that's do. I mean, if you would have told me it was six and a half, I would have said just don't buy this thing. Seven and a half is is respectable. No, I was gonna say, and when I'm really watching my speed and I'm really doing everything I can do, I can generally get up to just over eight on it. Yeah, that that's that's fine. So uh, we just. You, you need to do a little more digging. I'll need to do a little more digging. We just have to find out if this fix is holding. Which, that's why I was going to sit there and, and say the biggest difference between before they did it and after they did it was it runs quieter now, but it was always loud from the day I got it. Which, that made no sense to me. It's like, why is it... Why does it seem to be running smoother and quieter now that they well, if rebuild we, it? When we get engine noise, other than exhaust noise, engine noise is almost always coming from the top end. So that these engines had, again, another top end issue. I mean, we had the cams, now it's the heads, it's... It, it, and here's what I've said about this engine from the beginning. It's too complicated. The, the upper end of this engine well, they're, is, is they're too complicated. I've just never been... Well, the, yeah, but they're, they're not. I mean, I, I get that all engines are complicated if you don't understand them. But if you understand engines, this one is more complicated than all the rest. The electronics are more complicated. The overhead is more complicated. And they've had problems with it. And I, I just... Uh, sitting where I sit, getting these calls for the last 15 years... Um, I just, it, it's why when I bought my coach, I had to look hard. Almost all the country coach comes with the Cummins. The cat is a, is a downgrade. Um, nobody wants the cat in that coach. 
And that's exactly what I wanted. I had a hard time finding it because there was no way I was going to spend that much money and worry about an ISX all the time. Yeah, I mean, they're not as good as they used to be. Well, as, as far as the ISX itself goes, I don't know that it was ever any good. Cummins itself, I used to love Cummins. The oh, N14's no, amazing, the big cams. Yeah, yeah. Cummins was an awesome company, one of my favorites for a long, long time. When they brought out the ISX and their, their answer was that when I first looked at it, I thought, why is that thing so damn complicated? The N14 may be one of the simplest engines ever built. And they went from that to the ISX, and I thought, why is it so complicated? And their answer was, well, we need all of this to be able to meet the emission standards when they start. And it made sense, except from that day on, it just seems like we spend an awful lot of time talking about reoccurring issues. The same issue happening over and over and over on the ISX and now the X-15, and they're big issues too. They're not little. I mean, that, that repair, if you would have had to have done that, would have been probably thirty-five dollars or $40,000. Yeah, and I mean, one of the reasons why I liked the X-15 was is it's supposed to have fixed all the issues that they have with the ISX. I know, and it didn't. Well, we just and, have a bunch of and. new ones. So you're, uh, I'm going to go all the way back to your original question. And I've got an answer for you now. Your original question, I don't even think we ever got to it, was should you pay it off quickly or wait until the last minute? You should wait until the last minute. We need as much information as we can possibly get before you buy this truck, and we need to see what's going to happen to the used truck market. Well, the question was really, did you get a loan to pay to have a little bit of money for your maintenance account or well, do you just pay it off and let, hope let's, you get enough money put back? Let's talk about repairs. real numbers because a little bit of money or that none of that means anything. So let's start again from the beginning. How much is your payoff going to be? 52, right? 52,000. 52,000. How much do you have in your maintenance account? 24,000. And how much do you have and cash? I've also got 9,000. Well, I got 9,000 in an over mileage account that my truck's no longer over mileage. So that now will go to it. I get a $10,000 uh, finish my contract bonus. So that will go towards it. So we're at 43. Where's the other nine going to come from? Out of my pocket. Do you have? I've got probably twelve. I probably got twelve thousand put back okay. right now, and it's still building. So here's here's my take on that. Let's talk about just these raw numbers first. If you have the cash to buy the truck, I would buy the truck cash. You're going to have a couple thousand left over. I have to believe. And by the way, congratulations on doing well with the money side of this. That that makes this whole thing a lot easier because you've got cash. You've got these reserves built up. Um, so, yeah, it, for right now, um, if you if this were happening today and you were asking me the question, there were no issues with the truck. I would say pay cash. Do not take out a loan. We don't need to. You have the money. 
you can start to build money back up again. And if something goes wrong, I have to believe with the financial situation you're in, you could borrow some money, even if it were a credit card. Yeah, I've got over a 700 credit score right now. Perfect. Yeah, so if the choice is borrow money just in case, no, I'm not going to borrow money just in case. That makes my cost go up. I'll I'll spend my cash. That's what I assume. Yeah, no, you you're on the right track. Spend your cash. Don't don't make our costs go up. If you put all your cash into this truck and then something breaks, well, then you can go borrow some money. But there's a good chance you won't have to. So let's not. Um, now let me ask you this: all, that forty three thousand. Do you get that whether you buy this truck or not? Well, you get the majority of it. They can, you turn the truck in and whatever they, they right. charge to recondition it to sell, they take out of it. And With, then for whatever they sell over to 52000 they give you 40% of the profit. Man, oh, man. They certainly write these deals to benefit them. Holy cow. That's all. You're right. And, I mean, the truck is in great shape. I mean, well, it's a terrible deal, but I mean, how do you have do you have any friends over there that have been through this lease? Uh, not that's completed it because it's a third party leasing company. I I don't understand that statement. I those two well, things I, don't jive the carrier, to me. But the truck, no, that almost every well, lease purchase program on the planet is third party. But the statement you made doesn't make sense to me. I don't know anybody who's finished it because it's a third party. I don't understand. The carrier that I'm running under don't have a bunch of these trucks on there under the company. So, therefore, I'm not running into. Oh, okay. Now, that makes sense. The trucks ain't marked. That, That makes sense. Because what I wanted to know was. If anybody's ever turned one of these in, how fair were they on on the numbers? Did they go through and say, you know, every little scratch on the paint needs to be repainted and they end up using all your money up? I mean, there are patterns. There's information we need. But if you don't know anybody, although you've got time, I would start looking for people. Right, and I mean, and they tell me that generally it costs Wait, wait, stop, 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 stop. Who's telling you that? The leasing company. I I don't want you to ask the leasing company this. I I don't believe them. Right, I'm just saying, right, which, I mean, that's the thing. You don't never know when they're telling you the truth and when they're lying to you. And like I tell everybody else, you don't know what they're going to fix or replace for no reason. And how much they're going to charge you to replace it. Like, that's that's my they, point. Oh, that's why I, I want you to find yeah, people who have been through this so we get real numbers. So, so, so let, me, let, let me just address a big picture pattern here. You, you wanted to be in business, and I assume you signed a lease purchase because at that time you didn't have any money in credit. For the most part, I had fair credit. Could you have gone and bought a truck yourself? Uh, 
Probably not right at that second. We, and and but so I, so, I, so we're we're cash down on it. Correct. So we're we're narrowing down the problem here. You wanted to be in business, but you were too impatient to wait to be into business the right way. Yes. Okay. Now here we are again. You're you're about to make a major financial decision, and you were doing it on almost no information. I am like dragging answers out of you, and you don't know most of them. Your problem is not the truck. Your problem isn't whether you should buy this truck or not. If you're not going to change the way you do business, I would say do not buy this truck or any truck. Take the money and run. You can't run a business on on this little information. You didn't know why the truck got rebuilt. You don't know how they pay out on this. You need a lot more information to make these decisions. And if you're going to be in business, that you have to change that. You have to get a lot more curious. You have to ask a lot more questions. Does that make sense? I'm just asking the wrong people the wrong questions. No, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe you're asking anybody any questions. I, there's no such thing as asking the wrong questions or too many. If you start asking the wrong questions, you'll figure it out and it will lead to the right questions. If you ask the wrong people, you'll figure it out and it'll lead to the right people. I don't think you're asking any questions. I think that's the problem. Or you're asking them and just accepting their answer. Have you ever heard me, you ever heard me say what my favorite question is? Yes, why? So you're not asking why. You may be asking questions. I don't think you are. But when you do ask questions, you're not following up because here's an example. Why did the engine get rebuilt? And you told me because we were close to warranty. Well, somebody may have told you that, but you should have asked them why. Right, and I agree with you. I, that was so. Are the, so you got to change that. the The truck right now is not the big picture here. The big picture is really whether you should be in business or not. So far, you haven't proven that you should be. Now, I will say your financial management of your money has been good, but most of that was forced. the The fact that you have twelve thousand is no. excellent. Congrats. Well, come on, the thirty three thousand, the over mileage. The reserve, the, those are kind of that was, forced. That was my choice. All right. No, but that was actually my choice. Well, well again, that. congratulations on the financial part. You've got that. You're, you're really lacking in the information department, and you can blow through a lot of your money quickly with a couple of mistakes. And I would hate to see that happen. Right, you have sacrificed. You did the right things around money. But I, I will tell you right now, you are not ready to buy this truck and be in business. That's the reason why I was calling you is to get information because I'm four months out and need to prepare for the next steps. Uh, when, when, did, when did you sign the lease on this truck? Uh, the end of 2018. You, why, why didn't you think then you need to start gathering information? Why are we waiting till four months till you buy a truck? You've been in business this whole time. Well, I mean, the information that I needed then was, is this is your balloon payment 
at the end of the lease, and you got three options. Either pay the truck off and take it, turn the truck in and get a new one, or turn the truck in and take the majority of your money and run. So of those three answers, which one is the one you should never choose? Well, I mean, back then it was, I mean, the one I would never choose is release. I would never turn it in. Good. That's the correct answer. So, so that left me with only so have so hey, hey Brad 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 did did you ever take my course? Uh, yes, about six months ago, eight months ago. You did. That's when I realized the third party yes, and the third party lease was a bad idea. But so being in business without without a lot of information is I want you to go back and go through the course again and then call me back. Really think this time. Really listen and and pay attention to what you're learning and then call me back. All righty. All right. Don't worry about the truck right now. That we've got time on the truck. There there's a a bigger picture here. So go re-listen to that whole course from start to finish. And then call me, and we'll go from there. Uh, We're going to wrap this up today. We will be back here tomorrow for the Power Hour and Wednesday for Destination Health. Can't remember if I have a guest this week or not. I'll probably know tomorrow. Uh, Let's see. Nope. Uh, I just saw a note from Lauren. We don't have a guest, so she wants to know if we should cover a specific topic. Uh, Yeah, I think I'll come up with something. I don't know what. So, and then Thursday and Friday, I'm off. So I'll try uh, try to get a couple more commentaries done this week, and I might get a book review done, but I don't know. I don't know if I want to work that hard this week. Either way, we will see you back here tomorrow. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.